Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our spotlight on the positive segment. And here's some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. Well, we're only a few days away now from the big game. Tampa Mayor Jane Castor said yesterday, if Tom Brady leads the Bucks to victory, they're going to rename the city Tampa Bay. And wouldn't that just be the cherry on top of the cake for, you know, the 2020 season and, and just the year 2020, right? During a year that, you know, we, we thought, eh, it can't get any worse, can it? Tom Brady winning a seventh Super Bowl in his 10th appearance over the last 20 years. Boy, Brady in 2020 give us one last kick in the pants by forever reminding us with the naming of a city in his honor. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here with you. Tonight, we're going to look at the, you know Sunday's game, right? We're going to be all looking ahead to that with all of our guests. Plus, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame inductee announcement that's coming up this weekend as well, and we're going to do that with a guy who is on the Pro Football Hall of Fame board, one guy who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and two guys are who are in our guest Hall of Fame. Bob, how are you today, my friend? Good evening, Chris, and happy February to everyone out there. <laughs> Same to you, my friend. Uh, before we get started, I want to wish my mom a very happy birthday. Her birthday's tomorrow, but I want to get a head start on letting her know how much I love her and how dear she is to our family. Mom, I know you're listening, and I, I love you more than words could ever do justice to. Thank you so much for being in my corner and believing in me all my life. Your support has meant everything to me over the years. I hope your day tomorrow is as great as you have always been to all of us in our family. I love you very much, Mom. Bob, I, I want to start by getting a quick thought from you about Tom Brady. You know, he's he's already said that after the game, you know, he's already going to be looking ahead to next season. We go right from winning the Super Bowl or participating in the Super Bowl, already looking ahead to next season. He said he's going to train harder so that he and the team can be even better next season. So it doesn't sound like there are any thoughts, you know, of him retiring. Do you think that 50 really is sort of the goal out there in Tom Brady's mind? It's not winning a, a you know, a seventh, an eighth, a ninth Super, whatever, right? Maybe it's just like George Foreman, you know, winning the heavyweight title. You remember that back in the mid 80s when he won the title at 45 years old? And maybe Brady wants to conquer aging or the perception of age, sort of like Big George did, you know, and the, however many titles, you know, Super Bowl titles that come along with that are just a bonus. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Brady just keep going on and on and on? I don't think it's a number thing with him, Chris. Um, at this point, you know, he's feeling well. 
Uh, he's been on record as saying this past week, you know, that team is going to be better next year than they are right now. So uh, if he still has that hunger, and obviously maybe because of the way the season went this year and the transition went fairly smoothly with Arians, uh, he's feeling, you know, we have a better shot. No matter what happens Sunday, we have a better shot of winning probably next year than, than this year. So I don't think he's thinking, you know, 47, 48 years old. I don't think that ever comes into his mind. You know, if anything, he wants to put that aside because everybody talks about his age. Uh, I just think he wants to play as long and as, as much as he can. I mean, obviously, he's got all the money in the world. Uh, he's got the family. He doesn't need the money, Chris. So he's doing it because he still has that hunger. So, um, you know, if he could do it another couple of years, I don't see him last until 50. I mean, it's just a, it's just such a brutal game. And that's what's amazing for a guy to play into his 40s, no matter what position you play in the NFL, that um, you could actually go past the age of 40. It just doesn't happen much to anyone, and that includes kickers. So, um, But what he's doing is amazing. Uh, and uh, what you said is correct, Chris. I fully expect to see him um, next year, and he probably wants – one more Super Bowl out of New England. And I agree, Bob, 100%. I, I'm really interested just to you know get to Sunday, see the game, and then uh, see where he goes from there. But, yeah, he's got no thoughts of retiring, and uh, so he'll just go right on to uh, just sort of like, you know, how, how uh, Belichick used to say, right, after the, the famous loss, we're on to Cincinnati. You know, Tom Brady, mm-hmm. you know, we're on to 2021, win or lose uh, come Sunday. All right, on to tonight's show. And our first guest is going to be Pro Football Hall of Fame board member James Allen. James has become a great friend of the show over the last couple of years. I had the privilege of meeting James at a Super Bowl event here in Atlanta a couple of years ago. He's a wonderful guy. And, Bob, really looking forward to getting, you know, some insights and some stories from the legends that, you know, he's had the privilege of spending time with. And then, of course, we'll get everybody's thoughts tonight on the Super Bowl and then uh, get an update from him on what's going on at the at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we know we're going to hear uh, the finalists who uh, who are going to be the inductees. And, you know, heck, whenever we get back to, you know, being able to have ceremonies and games and fans and all that sort of stuff, Pro Football Hall of Fame is looking at a huge class. I got a lot of guys uh, that need to get inducted. So looking forward to catching up with James and hearing all about that tonight, Bob. It's great to have him back, Chris. As you said, a very, very pleasant man. And uh, my goodness, the, the superstars he's had the privilege of hanging with and uh, honoring and um and and we usually get uh, a lot of his insight into football in general and uh like to hear more about his early life and everything and and it's always a pleasure to have him on yes it is he'll join us uh about uh oh 10 minutes or so from now Following him, of course Tony Collins will be with us we'll go through our Super Bowl picks and the who and the why uh, Tony will be along probably about 30 minutes from now. Later on in this hour, we're going to catch up with former Jets and Chiefs Pro Bowl kicker and should-be Pro Football Hall of Famer Nick Lowry. And, Bob, not only am I looking forward to hearing Nick's thoughts on the game this Sunday, but uh, Nick's one of the most charitable guys you'll ever want to be around and that we've ever had on the show. I mean, he's involved with a, a number of very important causes, I mean, from anti-bullying to caring for the homeless and fighting for players who have so a lot to get into tonight with Nick. Uh, always enjoy it when he's a part of the show. He's something, Chris. A guy uh, who played, um, 
I believe, 18 seasons, if I'm not correct. He, uh, he, it's got to be one of the smarter guys we've ever had. You know, we've talked to Marco Yanuzzi and guys like this, but Nick is right up there, an Ivy League guy. And when we start talking about some more of the scholarly subjects on this show, uh, he gives us insights like you'll never get. Uh, so always great to have him. I'm, we always learn something with Nick. That's exactly right. We always learn something when Nick's a part of the show. He'll join us near the top of the next hour. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from our good friend and former Chargers, Vikings, and Giants safety and TNT guest Hall of Famer, Vency Glenn. Bob, as you know, just like when Greg Lloyd joins us, I mean, Vency tells it like it is. Really looking forward to getting his thoughts on, you know, what the Bucks are going to need to do to defend against Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And, and going back to some stories, you know, when Vency played, like his, you know, 103-yard interception return for a touchdown against John Elway and the Broncos should be a really fun segment, Bob. Oh, he's awesome. As you know, great friend. Uh, I was going to say exactly what you did. We have that faction of past get, past guests, Chris, who are really uh, the tell-it-like-it-is type, and he's right at the top of that list, and I can't wait to ask him. Well, we've been asking guys. Uh, we're on a kind of a, a roll with the tackling in the NFL these days, and I'll bring it up to Vince, and I'm sure we'll have some entertaining uh, response. So there you have it, folks. we got another great show on tap for you tonight. So as always, sit back, relax, let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life for the next couple of hours. It's time for another edition of Bob Take. So, Bob, tell us, what's on your mind tonight? All right, let's start this week's edition of Bob's Take. And, Bob, I want to start by getting your thoughts on the Rams-Lions trade. And, Bob, let's, you know, before we talk about this year's trade, let's, let's not forget that in 2016, the Rams traded up in the first round to get golf. They moved up to the number one pick overall in 2016, traded uh, with the Titans, gave the Titans their first round pick, two second round picks that year, their third round pick, and their 2017 first and third round picks to get golf. Now they've traded him plus their first round picks in 2022 and 23 and their third pick this season to get Stafford. So, Bob, that's a ton of draft capital out the door with Goff, essentially to get Matthew Stafford. Your thoughts on the trade? Yeah, obviously, it seems like a win-now move by the Rams, Chris. Um, I think they think who that Stafford, who's going to turn 33 years old this weekend, I think it's uh, they're, they're saying, hey, we're going to get a guy in his prime. Uh, let's face it. Chris, the marriage between Goff and Sean McVay, a lot of people said, came right out and said they needed quote-unquote marriage counseling. Uh, it just didn't go well after that, uh, the success of a few years ago. Uh, Stafford, they must feel that he can work with a offense, an offensive-minded coach like Sean McVay. And uh, again, they're sure, they sure uh, are giving up enough to, to find out. Uh, Goff going to Detroit, Chris, kind of a strange thing because you know they have a new coach there new gm uh maybe uh the lions think uh this guy can be uh retrained or regroomed by campbell just needs uh maybe a new place to to show his wares i'm not sure but 
Uh, you know, he threw for 20 touchdowns, 13 interceptions this year. So that's not that good. But if you look at both quarterbacks, Chris, their TD to interception ratio, both of them, isn't that good. It's about two to one. Uh, it's just that Stafford has done it longer, probably with worse squads. So I think the the plan is Stafford to be surrounded by guys. This is a playoff team, let's not forget. Uh, pretty much he's going to have the running backs he never had in Detroit. I think he only had 1,000-yard rusher in all his years in Detroit, which is incredible. I think that was Reggie Bush about 10 years ago, Chris. So uh, they're going to give Stafford what he needs to work with. Um, uh, McVay, again, this is an offensive guy coach. Now he has his quarterback. He has runners. He has some defense. Uh, I think the pressure is going to be more on Sean McVay than uh, than Stafford these days. So it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting, Chris. A lot of people think that the uh, the Rams got a little bit of the advantage, but you don't know. You know, new places, uh, new chemistries can go either way. It could be good for Goff in Detroit, and it could go bad for Stafford. And you you just don't know. But for now, it looks like the Rams want to win now. Next, Bob, and, and sticking with quarterback trades, there's a rumor that the 49ers are looking to trade for Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. And now, this is something that blows my mind. They're willing to trade Jimmy G to the Vikings. You know, if you think about uh, from a 49ers and uh, and Vikings standpoint, the the idea of trading Jimmy G to the Vikings, but not straight up. That's what the, the premise of the trade is. They're willing to give up, uh, their, well, they're looking, the 49ers are for Jimmy G to trade Jimmy G to the Vikings plus their second and fourth round pick this year for Kirk Cousins. I mean, uh, and I'm thinking if, if, the, if there was a little bit reversed and the Vikings are calling me and I'm the 49ers GM, Bob, and they say, you know, hey, um, We'd like to trade for Jimmy G, and uh, we'll give you Kirk Cousins straight up. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking you got to be kidding me. That's all you're going to give me for Jimmy G? And then they go, no, 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 that's not the trade. We also want your second and fourth round pick. I'd be thinking this is a joke, right? Who's who you call it? Who's this? Who's this really? Right on the other end of the line. But I mean, I don't know, Bob. Your thoughts? I mean, is it? The 49ers giving up Jimmy G a second and a fourth for Kirk Cousins. Your thoughts on that trade? Yeah, Chris, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, it's it's a wash to me. I mean, these are two. I, I think I know what the 49ers are thinking. There's two things that they have in mind, Chris. They have they have in mind that uh, first of all, Cousins is pretty much a little more. Um, Usually more healthier than Jimmy G. They probably think, okay, we're going to get a better quarterback, uh, as far as he's going to show up every week. And I also think, you know, with Kyle Shanahan, his history with Cousins there, they think that Cousins can probably make a very nice transition with the 49ers and, cause he's already familiar with Shanahan's system. So those are the two things I would see. But as far as you're right, if you had to give up more than just uh, quarterback for quarterback, that's kind of strange. These guys are both making huge bucks. You know, Garoppolo, I think, $27 million and Cousins about 30 Uh So there's not much difference there. Uh, you know, if you're trying to unload salary one way, it's, it's not going to happen that way. So 
Uh, but I agree with you, Chris. I mean, I mean, Cousins had a decent year last year. The guy had almost 4,300 yards, but I don't know if he can get any better. Um, you know, his 35 touchdowns was a career high. I don't think he can get much better. He's not that kind of quarterback. Uh, but maybe, maybe back with Shanahan, he feels even more confident and they think he can improve somewhat on that. But I'm with you. I mean, if you have to give up anything more, uh, to get one quarterback than the other, I, I, I just don't see any, either one of these guys being that much better than the other. One more, Bob. And, uh, I'm pretty sure we've all seen the story, right? 20 Chiefs players and staff members, including Pat Mahomes, by the way. We're in line to get a haircut on Sunday from the team barber who got positive test results for COVID-19 mid haircut to their backup center. Now, here's my thought, Bob. For why in the world would you risk all of your players prior to the Super Bowl for getting a haircut? I mean, not, you know, I mean, obviously in, in normal times, no biggie. But with COVID and now you got your barber who tests positive. And you almost had you know, the majority of your team, you know, get exposed, and goodness knows what happened if you know if they all played out and they all tested positive, you know, a couple of days in advance of the Super Bowl. But your thoughts on uh, on risking it uh, with a barber to get these guys groomed? Well, I agree with everything you said, Chris. I mean, uh, it it just doesn't make much sense to bring in. I'm not going to say a stranger, but did this barber travel with them? And was was he quarantined with these guys the whole season? Did he? No, he's probably. God knows where this barber's been. But for to have any kind of group thing, Chris. I mean, these guys couldn't. Do they really need haircuts that bad? Where they're you know almost two dozen guys. Uh, can't you wait till like next week and go back to your hometown and get one? I don't. I don't get the whole thing of having a uh, an assembly line ready for haircuts. Uh, when you're trying to avoid crowds, and especially um, a barber, where again, I, I this guy doesn't put on a case uniform because I God knows where the source has been. And um, but to to you're right though. I mean, this could have been a disaster if it affected more people. You know, I don't know if we'll even know the true story of of what happened here because of the seriousness of it. Uh, if anybody else was kind of deemed a quote unquote close contact. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that kind of blew my mind. But um, just let's, I'm sure we'll see uh, people in the stands with certain haircuts in order to make fun of this, Chris. It's kind of a weird situation, <laughs> but it could have been a lot worse for the Chiefs. Uh, I think they'll take a sigh of relief if all these guys can show up and play. Right. All right, folks. There you go. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. We've got our first guest, James Allen, hanging on the line. We're going to get to James right on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happens here tonight. All right, now back with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is James Allen. I had the privilege of spending some time with James a couple of years ago during Super Bowl week here in Atlanta, and he couldn't have been nicer or more fun to be around. James is on the board of directors for the Pro Football Hall of Fame Foundation. Uh, he's a wonderful friend of the show. This is his fourth visit with us tonight. Uh, we can't be more grateful to him for all the wonderful support that he has given us 
uh, both on the air and off the air. And we are thrilled he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, James, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on Welcome the show. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Chris and Bob. I always, uh, I really love y'all's show, and I, and I love that you bring all these uh, former athletes and, of course, obviously Lee Steinbrenner and all these other guys back because especially all these former players, it has a chance for their kids and grandkids to kind of re-look at their lives. And I really think what you guys are doing, especially in a positive light. So it's my pleasure. Ah, thank you for that. So, James, uh, kind of give us an update on what's going on with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know we've got uh, the announcement <laughs> coming up this weekend, but, boy, you guys are going to have a heck of a class to induct uh, come next, uh, what, well, I guess later on in August, September time frame, uh, if we can get back to normal. What, how are you guys dealing yeah. with uh, what's going to be a huge class? Well, uh, Commissioner Goodell, uh, is a very is on our board and is extremely active. I mean, he shows up to all the meetings. He doesn't phone it in. And in the NFL, as you know, from even the Major League Baseball and, and NBA, is really taken a, a lot of steps. Even college football and the SEC even duplicated their efforts. And the commissioner and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we have been working on all different kind of scenarios. Um, however, at the end of the day, end of the day, it's for the player. It's for the fan safety. It is in August. Uh, Sunday, August 8th, 2021. And as you guys have mentioned, we have to induct the class of 2020 and we got to induct the class of 2021 that we'll find out uh, on CBS uh, Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So it should be exciting. There's some great stories coming out of this this class coming up. Uh, and uh, so I'll, anything you want to ask me, I, I'm excited about it. But it's going to be a big class induction and in August, uh, hopefully we have it. So to to that end, right, as, as we look ahead to Saturday night to hear, you know, this year's inductees, you mentioned there are some great stories. I mean, obviously, you know me, James, as as a huge Steelers fan. I, I got my fingers crossed for, for my guy, Alan Fanica and, uh, and others. So, um, yeah, share some of the stories that you guys heard during the uh, the presentation of the, you know, getting, trimming the list down to these finalists. I know the media members in the, in the hometowns or the home cities of the players are the ones that kind of make the case for them. But talk about some of the great stories you heard. Yeah, so, you know, one of the ones that kind of sticks out for me, uh, I, I would start with the Matthews family. Um, and most people don't know, uh, the Matthews family is considered the, you know, the, the Hall of Fame family of the NFL. Uh, the family patriarch, H.L. Matthews, uh, you know, his son, Clay Matthews Sr., uh, was drafted in the 1949 draft by the Rams. And then, of course, he had two sons, Clay and Matthews Jr., who's up for the finalists, and Bruce Matthews, who's already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So if Clay Matthews Jr. gets in, he'll be the, he'll be the and Bruce, he'll be the first brothers to ever get in to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, of course, Clay Matthews Jr. has a couple sons uh, that play in the NFL, uh, obviously, Clay Matthews III, Clay Matthews, the great linebacker, uh, is uh, having a Hall of Fame uh, lifespan. But the Matthews family goes back to 19, to the NFL, goes back to 1949. And it's uh, crazy how many of their family members have played at the highest level. And, of course, Bruce uh, being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Clay is in the final group. So I, I found that uh, very fascinating. Uh, of course, obviously, uh, and I have to be very careful with this, but I, I, it reminds me of the uh, Brett Favre induction uh, vote. Anybody want to talk about Brett Favre? No, move on. <laughs> and we got Peyton Manning. 
<laughs> so uh, I can talk about that now, but I mean, of course, I, I, I Peyton Manning's going to be, uh, uh, you know, I know these athletes are real competitive and Peyton's a very humble guy, but it'll be just as short as Brett Favre's you know? And, and of course, one of uh, uh, Peyton's uh, favorite targets, of course, uh, Marvin Harrison's already in, but of course, Reggie Wayne is on the final cut. So uh, that's kind of fascinating. Right. You know, Wayne, uh, Wayne played for, uh, what, 13 years with the Colts. And, and that's a, that's a, I, I just, those two stories stick out. Of course, I get asked, I'm in Texas, so I get asked about Drew Pearson, you know, all the time. Yeah. And I get, uh, yeah, and then a lot of people are talking on a nationwide uh, about Calvin Johnson, Megatron. You know, does he get in as a first time uh, induction thing? And uh, there, there seems to get, I, I'm getting a lot of questions about that as well. So that's kind of the, the bigger stories uh, out there. Uh, out there, of course, Alan. I'm glad that you know people are recognizing. You know, linemen are tough to recognize, but your buddy Alan Fanatica. I mean, he but he played. He played for a long. I mean, nine years with the Steelers, a year, what, with the Jets a year, and Cardinals with a year. So, eleven years as a, a guard. That's an amazing career. And yeah, uh, so, anyway, we, we got some. Gr- yeah, we have some great things coming out, and uh, uh, but this is the first year that Jared Allen and Calvin Johnson, of course, Peyton and Charles Woodson. Uh, their first year as eligibility have made it through. So, yeah. So let let me let me pick your brain on on another guy who's in the finalists and 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 you know I think we you and I have talked about this and I think we've talked about this with you on the show. Um, Richmond Webb is very near and dear to our hearts. We've known Richmond for many years. When I look at a guy like yeah. Tony Baselli, who you know played 1995 to 01 with the Jags, so only a few seasons there with the Jags, and then one. Uh, he was with the Texans, but on injured reserve. So he had such a short career, uh, five-time pro bowler in those, you know, seven seasons, you know, with the Jags and all of that. And, um, but you know, our good friend Richmond, okay, seven pro bowls. He, you know, he, he played more consecutive games than Tony Baselli played in. Um, so it, <laughs> give us your perspective on the Baselli and, you know, what, what we need to do to get our boy Richmond Webb into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, Richmond and I, I just got off Twitter. I just, cause of my, I, I can't get to everyone. So I just, but Richmond and I are, uh, Twitter. I think we're Twitter friends, uh, are, 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 were Twitter friends. And of course, I mean, you know, he, he had an unbelievable year. I think he played 11 years, I think in the, uh, NFL and, uh, he was on the nineties all decade team, if I remember. Uh, you That's know, right. so, so I, bunch of like seven, eight, seven, eight pro seven pro balls or something like that. Or yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I have to say that, um, uh, you know, I think you and I can talk about that and, and see what we can do for, uh, Richmond. A lot of it has to do, believe it or not, with the teams that he played for and the, and the people in that market. Uh, because, uh, unfortunately, uh, and at the hall of fame, uh, as you know, several years ago, we we're making more and more changes. As you know, in 2020, we brought in outside voters. We brought in Bill Belichick and John Madden, and and we're trying to get more external I- input. And there's some other things I can't talk about uh, to try to, to recapture this. Hence, Drew Pearson. I mean, Drew Pearson was right behind Lynn Swan. In some ways, more stats than Lynn Swan. But remember, back then, they didn't throw the ball. You know, until Still Walsh, right. and the 49ers. Remember, I'll open it up, and and Drew Pearson. Uh, had to be circled back under our, uh, you know, our, our older after 25 year program. And uh, it's only because Lynn won a bunch of Super Bowls. And, uh, but Lynn had to wait 14 years to get in. 
And one thing that I remember Deacon Jones said, he goes, this is not the Pro Football Hall of Fame of great. It's not the Pro Football Hall of Greatness. It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And a lot of it comes down to intangibles about uh, dominance and everything else. And I'll give you a name of a Heisman Trophy winner, uh, played at University of Texas, Tommy Nobis. Tommy Nobis, first round, first pick, Atlanta Falcons, a, a new team, played their whole career with that. Every player will say that that's the hardest hitting person ever in the NFL. And now he's, right? made, he's made the final. Yeah, and he's made the final cuts or things. But again, he played for a Falcon team that always lost. Members like the Tampa Bay, you know, poor Vinny right. Testaverde said hike and was on his back. Remember what happened to Carr with the Texans? And, you know, he wouldn't leave. Kind of like, you know, look at uh, the uh, Archie Manning. He wouldn't leave the Saints. Um, so there's a lot of stories like that. And it's very, it's tough to answer those questions with fans and press. Uh, it really, it's a game of half inches for the Hall of Fame, to be candid with you. And, and I love Richmond Webb, and I don't disagree with you. Uh, I'm an Aggie. <laughs> so I love Richmond. Uh, he played for Texas A&M. Uh, and that's something I want to talk to him about and everything else. I don't, I can't speak to what Miami uh, has done or not done, the owner. And a lot of times when you have a new owner, like the Dolphins did, if that they just kind of, um, I, I actually brought up Nobis's name. I went to A&M. UT, University of Texas was our rival. I brought up Nobis, uh, the second biggest owner of the Falcons is on our board. And he said, Gosh, I, and he went to talk to the owner, and uh, you know, it's just it's it's really there's a lot of people that deserve to be in, but they made the the window the door so shut. But I will tell you, Chris and Bob, eventually these guys will get in, and that's what it is. And I, you have to understand, Rich, you don't make it to the NFL for even two years without being you can't even make it to the NFL without being the most competitive person there is. And these guys sometimes worry about, am I a first-time Hall of Famer, am I a second time, or when I get in? I mean, we inducted a couple of years ago a guy from Lombard, one of the linemen from Lombardi's team. Right. And he even, he even said, I sometimes grew upset, but I will tell you, I'm the happiest man in this stadium. And Ray Lewis started crying and Randy Moss. And I'm starting to get teary up. So just understand, they, they make it. Uh, I don't mean to pick on baseball and basketball. I mean, all the Hall of Famers come back. We have 100 Hall of Famers show up every year. I mean, uh, they, they've, they've actually come and studied our culture. I mean, I don't think one or two NBA players come back or uh, unless it's a teammate or the baseball. And they just make it it's, – it's such a rough game. You guys talk about Tom Brady. I mean, how do you play more – the average, the average playing career is really about 2.2 years. You put a kicker, it's 2.9. So, yeah, it's just so tough. There's so many warriors. And then every time a new year comes up, here comes all these people, you know, last year, Troy Palomala or whatever position you want to put, or Terrell Owens, who had to wait an extra year. So it's just, it's really tough. But the, the good news is, to answer your question, uh, Chris and Bob, the Hall of Fame, you know, look, we got Kenny Stabler. Remember, we could, because we, we created right. a category for, for the people that we got Drew Pearson. So we're making it where we're bringing the senior inductees and bringing them back uh, and getting them. I mean, look at Harold Carmichael, uh, you know, Cliff Harris. You know, we, we, we put them uh, in. So uh, so it's, it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. But I, I do agree. And I could bring up about eight other people. 
there's a guy that was a fullback for the Cardinals who caught more TD touchdowns than anybody, and Larry Sinners. Uh, Larry and I became friends with all this. I, I won't be going this year to the Super Bowl yeah. for the first time in 10 years, but Larry Sinners and I are friends. And I was there at a Jim Brown private party, and I mean only 10 people. And Jim Brown, Lawrence Taylor comes up, and Marshall Lynch, my Marshall Lynch, um, Marshall Falk come up to Larry Sinners and just say, "You're the, Marshall Falk says, I wanted to be like you, and I copied my game. And Larry started crying right there in front of Jim Brown. Wow. And there's, what about, you know, look up that guy's stats. Now, he has made the final, you know, 50 and stuff like that. Uh, just like Calvin Johnson. Do I think Calvin Johnson's going to get or not? You know, I'm not going to say that because, you know, uh, you couldn't guard him, but he left way early. And But do I think he'll eventually get in? Yes, of course I do. So that's kind of a obtuse answer, but I hope I helped fill in some blanks there. Yes, you did. Five questions for James? Yeah, James, it's Ken. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. And I want to just mention a couple guys that are in the Hall of Fame and, and get your thoughts on uh, perhaps their career in general, perhaps any dealings you may have had with them, and just memories overall. And one you just mentioned uh, was Lawrence Taylor, because it's his 62nd birthday today. And um, <laughs> probably the most dominant defensive player many of us ever saw. I got to see him in person up here in New Jersey many times. Um, your thoughts on him, uh, a guy that really changed uh, the game. Yeah, well, his I spent a lot of time with his, uh, his middle linebacker, uh, Carson, and and uh, we uh, were talking about him. And, you know, he just said, we would just tell Lawrence, just line up. It's kind of like the water boy was analogy. Just go get in the backfield and tackle, find the ball. And I'm serious. If they were running a 4-3 left stunt, this, like that, Carson would just tell Lawrence, just go, just line up where you want to go get the thing. I mean, who does that? And, and, and you know, Harry's a Hall of Famer. And he's he, and not only is that he's one of the smartest linebackers, right? Uh, and it's kind of Ricky the Hammer from the Saints. You know, his buddy Sam Mills is finally getting a nod. Uh, Ricky the Hammer was like that. Jackson from the Saints. I mean, I was there. I with I've been on the field with Ricky the Hammer. I mean, just you know. But yeah, he was Lawrence Taylor was just. Uh, I mean, he, you know, just like the water. I mean, that's what I made that. And, and, and Carson's not a big laughing guy very intense guy. And he started laughing because I never thought about it. He's like the water boy. Just go get, get the ball. <laughs> and who does that? I mean, you know, he's, I mean, obviously Ray Lewis and you have the Butkuses and the hard hitting tough guys, but cars, I mean, he should, I mean, Lawrence Taylor was just a, just athletic, just amazing. The other guy I wanted to mention to you, James was Paul Horning, who we lost in November. Uh, and uh, he was, actually my father my father's favorite player ever and chris knows my father loved these guys who were versatile it didn't matter if they played baseball basketball football he was probably the most versatile football player uh, that i can I, that I ever came across as far as the stories i was told um a guy that actually won a super bowl uh was a heisman winner won an mvp in the end of i mean you talk about a guy that did everything and had some fun off the field too, from what we gather. But uh, <laughs> that's when I think of the word legend in football, he's near the top. 
Yeah, I mean, he's what was he called? The Golden Boy, if I remember. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, we have a special uh, dinner, which is only the Gold Jackets and only the board members, and it's a very private, exclusive event. And I, you know, I've sat next to Jerry Rice and sit there. And I, one time, I sat next to Paul Horning, and yes, he still, uh, he still likes to win, <laughs> even at whatever he was, eighty-seven years old. I don't know. Wow. Uh, but but he could do he could he was a kicker he was a halfback I mean he safety at Notre Dame I mean he he could do it all and what was he like six two three two hundred and fifteen twenty pounds back then he mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean I think he's one of the best athletes to ever play the game and and by the way I very quiet uh, very humble uh, you know wasn't Lombard you know wasn't this Lombardi that or anything else and Super Bowl this and. Uh, he's very, you have to kind of drag it out of him. He actually want to ask, he, he would ask me more questions about me. And I tried to say, Hey, Mr. Horning, I want to talk, uh, what's Lombardi like? Great motivator, high standards. So what are you doing in your life? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's like a Roger Staubach. He's the golden, he's not only a golden boy player. He's just a golden boy guy. Yeah. I love Paul and I miss him. I'm going to miss him a lot. James, for for everyone listening in, there was some fan voting going on this year where you could vote for, you know, there was a whole list of guys that you know were up for uh, nomination, and you you could vote for uh, I think any as many as you wanted. Um, but talk yeah. about the the fans' participation and the and uh, the voting for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How is that considered, or what do you guys do with uh, the fan input? It's never, it's absolutely considered. And we opened that up for that reason. Uh, you know, fans are short for fanatics <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, Jerry Jones one time said 75% of the fanatics have never been inside a stadium because it's so expensive to be at an NFL game. I mean, these people know every stat, every shoe size, everything, every possible. So at, I can tell you for a fact is absolutely looked at. That's why we did it. It's not a stunt, uh, or anything like that. Uh, I, I wish I could say more of some things we're trying to move the the ball uh, more, but I hope you've seen not only with the senior inductees that we started coming in, uh, that's how Stabler and now hopefully Drew Pearson and all these other people get in and contributors, that's, you know, and coaches. Now we're going back and letting, you know, the writers and some of the voters, the media say, look, this is what, look at these things. And absolutely, I can tell you, uh, it makes it to the, it makes it, excuse me, to the room. And James, um, unfortunately, we lost uh, one of the uh, great Hall of Famers and a guy that was near and dear to my heart, Kevin Green, not that long ago. I was just curious, did you ever get an opportunity to spend some time with Kevin? You know, I I, I actually started to cry here. Um, mm, I, uh, uh, my uh, first marriage, uh, my wife and I are still great friends, and he... He, she married a Ranger Hall of Famer, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Ranger, second battalion Hall of Famer, blah, blah. And, uh, my daughter from that marriage, uh, we were at the Hall of Fame and Kevin was up there. And of course, everybody's swamping him. And, uh, you know, my daughter's very shy. And I just told him about that. And he stopped everything. And he saluted my daughter and said, I want to know your, you know, this name and blah, blah, blah. And, and I told him about that. So we were in Houston. At a VIP event, again, it's only the the new inductees, the finalists. Like right now, there, there'll be a party 
for the final group, the final 15, they're all there with the Hall of Fame board at a, at a, at a, at a, at a usually a penthouse suite. And I, I you know, I, I kind of, it's kind of fun. I like listen, I listen in to really David Baker because he's like the P.T. Barnum, our, our president and CEO of, of Thanes. And Kevin and I went out on the balcony and just started talking about life. Uh, I mean, that guy is, it, I, I hate to say this. I mean, I, I mean, I've met so many people, but if I had to put the 10 most passionate Hall of Famers I've ever met, <laughs> I would say Kevin's got to be in the top five. Top, I, I, he's my number one, which is unfortunately because I live in San Antonio, Texas, military city. And if you saw his induction ceremony, where he talked about his dad being a ranger, most people didn't know it. He was in the reserves. Kevin was. And saluting everybody at the end and everybody was crying and all the first responders. Uh, we had an event at COVID in Manhattan with Commissioner Holt this last March. New York was COVID city. And a lot of people didn't show to honor uh, the uh, military. And, uh, you know, we're working with Prince Harry uh, for the Invictus Games. And, uh, and of course, Prince couldn't make it in Harry and, and the Hall of Fame is the training grounds for that. We did also with Prince Harry. I'm the only Hall of Fame board member besides uh, David Baker that showed, and nobody else went, but, you know, there was a couple of Hall of Famers, and guess who was there? And at the front of the thing, and got up there and did a rousing thing about military life and football and people, is Kevin Green. And I, I really am crying <laughs> right now. And wow. I, we've lost a lot of Hall of Famers this last year. We've lost more than we ever have in modern history. But, uh, yeah, Kevin, uh, I, 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 it's just... He's he is a great man. Off, I mean, James, it, football, of course. On a lighter note, um, <laughs> Thank one you. of the things when <laughs> yeah, when we met a couple of years ago, and it was at a, a Legends comedy event that year, and um, uh, seeing seeing a guy like Ed Tutal Jones up on the stage, and, and <laughs> Ed's a funny guy. He's a funny he really guy. Is. You know, yeah, and he's, you know, obviously everyone, you know, who knows, you know, who Ed Tutal Jones is, the guy's a monster. I mean, just huge and was a monster player. And I mean, that was something, I, you know, when I learned about the premise of the event and then saw him up there and he, he's got you cracking up, you, you're thinking that's something I never would have imagined, you know, I, I would learn about Ed Tutal Jones. From your perspective and the guys you've met. Who who have been some guys that have really just sort of caught you off guard that I you know like you know like like Tutal did with me that you never would have guessed they were like the funniest guy and all the old guard will tell you this there's a guy on our board that the Hall of Famers uh, revere more than anyone else uh, Don Jayquay he's been on the board for almost thirty years and he's done so much for the Gold Jackets they all love him I mean even to get Jim Brown to sign stuff I mean he's Don Jayquay and I've talked about this the funniest most hilarious crying, laughing. And I mean, Michael Irvin has said this, Deion Sanders has tried to do it, and he's no longer with us as Deacon Jones. Here's this guy who invented the term sack, who invented the phrase, who, would, who invented the head slap, and he would try to, as everybody acknowledged in Hall of Famers, he would knock the helmet where you see out of your eye hole, and he would stand over you as a rookie and say, does your mama know you're out here? This is a tough guy. He is known for being one of the toughest guys in the NFL. Phil Olson, who and I are really good friends, Merlin Olson's brother, who played on the Rams with Merlin Olson. And, you know, Deacon was on one side, Merlin was on the other. Where are you going to go, right? Uh, I will tell you, that is the most funniest. I mean, I, I'm not trying to drop names, 
Chris Tucker and I uh, and Jim Brown uh, and, and Ed Tuchel Jones went to a private game with Jim Brown and he doesn't really throw big deals. And Chris Tucker is hilarious, you know, the actor. And, right. you know, Deacon Jones, Deacon Jones can't. Deacon, you know, every, so every time we went to this, these used to be very private, the Merlin Olsen lunches. Now they're really big. They would save him for last. And I remember the last one, where was it? It was in, uh, it was, uh, yeah, Indianapolis. It was when uh, uh, Jerry Jones made it switch in Indianapolis. And he told me, that's the last time we hung out, and I was sitting next to him and just laughing. And the whole time he's just tracking jokes. But he had, you know, he had to pee all the time. He had all these health problems. He said, man, I wish they, I wish I would, they would like me for last one. I wish I wasn't so damn funny. And we always let Deacon Jones speak last. And we never knew what he was going to say. And that one blew me, blew me away because he was considered, you remember how tough he was. I mean, he invented the term sack. Right. And right. he stand over players. And his thing, and every rookie and every Hall of Famer admitted, if you knew you were a rookie, he would even ask Merlin, I want to line up on that side. And he would knock you, slap your head on your helmet, knock you down, and stand over and go, does your mama know you're out here? Doesn't matter <laughs> where the place goes. And that guy is the funniest man I've ever met in my life. My life. Deacon Jones. I, that, that was... Uh, and I think the other one, and I know this is weird because we're talking about kickers. You were talking about kickers earlier, and it's so hard to get in. I mean, obviously, Morton got in after uh, John Stineru, and then I, I really think Adam's going to get in, Vinatieri. And, and um, um, John Stineru uh, uh, told the story. I mean, he still doesn't think – I mean, he uh, he's not being humble. I don't know how I got here. I, I don't know how I should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he he became one of my first friends. But I got put on the, the, in 2011, and uh, it's, we had an event in San Antonio, and he uh, told a story at this Merlin Olsen with this private thing, and everybody goes and tell, it's like a four-hour event. Everybody you can ask, they tell their stories, it's random, everybody speaks, and he talked about how he was, he came here on a snow skiing scholarship, and I'll fast the forward story up, and he was out goofing off one time with a soccer ball, because where he comes from, they play soccer all the time, and and the coach saw him just kick this ball and said, you know, come out. And he was a third, you know, Division three school. And he kicking, gets drafted by the uh, Chiefs, you know, the powerhouse with, you know, with Stram. And he goes out there and he said, these guys are so big and so things. He literally packed up his bags. Because, you know, where he comes from, everybody's non-confrontational, not warriors. They packed up his bags the first day of practice. And he's walking out. And Stram happened to go to the locker room. And didn't know, he said, I wasn't even telling, I didn't tell Stram. He said, Stram didn't know. And his family never heard the story. They're all over there and his grandkids. And he said, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, you know what? You could be one of the greats and walked off. And I just love that because here's a guy who doesn't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I've heard people say that about him. I mean, uh, one, he said, I said, I asked him one time, what's the worst thing you ever heard? He goes, well, I was, I was at a function. And they were saying I should have been in the Hall of Fame. They said, he's such a bad kicker that if he ever wants to commit suicide and hang himself and wants to kick the chair out from underneath him, he'll probably miss. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, I love John Stineru just because of, the, you know, I could go on, but he just, uh, I was very surprised. Uh, most of the Hall of Famers, you know, think they should be in and know they should be, and they should be. But I, I he was always, that, that still blows me away. Um, uh, uh, in fact, I was at an event, a, my event I hosted, and he's talking to Morton Anderson and saying, Morton, you, you, you're the guy. You're the greatest kicker, you know, in modern history, the most act. I mean, just blah, blah, blah. And just really, and I'm, I'm embarrassed. And you should be in. I don't, they're going to probably question. And not, not a false humility. I just, and I think the other one was Ray Guy, the only punter to get in. Ray uh, 
Ray, when they called him and said, you're going to, before we did the knock, they called him. We used to call him on the phone and Ray guy, and they said it was about 15 minutes of silence. And he was, he was on the ground and Ray's a country, you know, yeehaw guy, redneck. He was crying for 15 minutes, you know? Wow. And, and that, just stuff like that, you know, and even Brett Favre, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> when, uh, David Baker talks about, uh, when he uh, knocked on uh, Brett Favre's door and Brett, uh, and then, you know, and, and they hugged him and probably David goes, I think we should let go now. You know, and, the, and he, that happens a lot. You know, David <laughs> Baker, you know, you've seen, you've seen David, how big he is, right? They call him yeah. the biggest CEO. Is he like six, nine, 400 pounds? He's huge. David Baker, uh, more often than not, look at Jimmy Johnson. Remember when they surprised him on air? Jimmy Johnson is right. a tough guy, tough man. Broke down and started crying. And uh, so I love those stories. You know, you, you see Jimmy Johnson's this tough guy and, you know, very just, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he goes and he melts, you know, and the guys won college, you know, and professional world championships. And right. so I, I love that part of it. I love the passion. I love the fans' passion. I love you guys' passion. And I love these mod- these warriors that there's other sides to them, that, you, that they're really human beings and, and they really have feelings and, and they, they deep down in heart, they just want to please people. Well, James, before we let you go, remind our listeners again about the show coming up this weekend, when the uh, event is scheduled for in August, and then how they can follow you in the Pro Football Hall of Fame online and over social media. Well, thank you. Uh, well, the NFL Honors is Saturday at CBS, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7, of course, Central, and at 5 o'clock Pacific Time. They will be announcing the NFL Honors program. Uh, the induction is... Uh, August 8th, 2021. And to tell everybody, if you want to go, last year we asked for, we tried to refund everyone's tickets and 90%, oh, 88% of the people kept their tickets. Uh, it'll be the largest, if you want to see Hall of Famers, August uh, 8th uh, is the induction. But the, as you know, and I've invited, you know, is the, the ceremonies really start on Friday, the 6th, August 6th in Canton, Ohio. You can go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame website. Uh, as far as following me, I'm pretty much off social media, <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to be posting any more stuff. But I, I would tell people, it, they call it the most inspirational place on earth. It's voted one of the top museums in the United States. The Baseball Hall of Fame and the Basketball Hall of Fame has visited us many times to try to up their game. Uh, I can tell you that when you walk into the stat, the room with all the statues, uh, it's very moving. Um, all the bronze statues. Um, you know what? I'll tell you, Chris. Uh, I'll tell you, Bob, one thing. Uh, the Hall of Fame called me in December, and no one knows this except my mom and dad because uh, I think I told you before, my dad's and mom, my dad's kind of hanging on. My kids don't even know. But the Hall of Fame, if you ever go to the Hall of Fame, the, the room with all the things right next to it is the Gold Jacket Lounge. It's where we have our meetings. It's where the, the Gold Jackets hang out. It's where they, you know, to go to the games and everything else, and it's kind of the VIP room. Well, they're going to call it the James Allen Family. Uh, wow! So I'm really, I'm really uh, excited about that. I mean, Ralph Wilson, uh, <laughs> who gave a lot of money, has the big building, and and uh, Dennis, uh, you know, has something after him, and it's like the, uh, I think it's like the third thing or fourth thing they've announced thing. So I'm really, I'm really excited uh, that the board, especially, you know, uh, that. 
they're going to do that. So I hope I've told you before, if you and you guys want to go, I'll take care of your tickets. Obviously you got to pay your travel and your uh, hotel things. And I can help with that, but I would pay for all that stuff. If you guys want to go and I've offered that to you, I'm going to send you a hall of fame shirt and, and uh, your partner, uh, Bob, both y'all hall of fame shirts. I, I found out Bob, your, uh, uh, what size? I wrote it down in my office. I'm, I'm walking around by my ranch. But what size are you, Bob? I think Chris said you're uh, you're extra large. Probably, yeah. Whatever. I mean, depends. Large, extra large. I make it fit. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to send you what, what size you want. I'm going to send you and Chris next week. Chris, y'all just send me on my LinkedIn profile. I'm still on that. Yep. Send me y'all's address. I'm going to send you out the Hall of Fame shirts. These are the ones that we wear. It's players wear. Of course, anybody can buy them at the Hall of Fame shop. But I would encourage people, take your kids, take your grandchains to go to it. Uh, there's there's all kind of stuff. And they have autograph sessions and everything else. If you want to go see it, we'll have a ton. We'll have, I guarantee we'll have over 100 Hall of Famers uh, there in Canton in August. Wow. James, you're fantastic, my friend. We can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. We hope we uh, get the privilege of catching up with you again real soon. You're awesome. Well, thanks, guys. And I and all the listeners out there, please tell your friends about the show. Uh, people pay too much money for these people to downgrade these athletes and this negativity. And they don't even understand. And, not, and most of them have never even been on a field beyond high school, if at all. And it's tough. It's a tough game. It's tough on your family. It's tough on your kids. And you two guys do it positive and shine the light on these people every week. And I hope your listeners if, it will continue to do that. And maybe we'll work out a contest where if somebody gets you a bunch of listeners, I'll give them Hall of Fame stuff. So I really want to talk about that because the game needs this kind of approach. We thank you very much for that. James, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up soon. We'll talk soon. All right, send me the stuff for the shirts, guys. I'm serious. Okay. Thank you, James. We'll do it. Thank you, care. Be safe. Right. See you, James. Bye-bye. That's a great James Allen. Bob, the guy's fantastic. And, you know, the story about Deacon Jones, as I'm sure you remember, Deacon Jones used to say, I can outrun oh. daylight, right? I go, you know, the head slap, I go up again. If I uh, go up upside a man's head, they tend to blink. And that's all I needed to get past them because I could outrun daylight. That's to me. That's one of the great Deacon, you know, quotes from Deacon Jones. But what great stories, Bob? Oh, it, well, it, yeah, the, the, the fearsome foursome, uh, for some of our younger people out there, they won't remember. The fearsome foursome was Lamar Lundy, Rosie Greer, and you had, of course, Deacon Jones and Merlin Olson. I mean, what these guys did off the field was just as impressive, Chris. I mean, you talk about an amazing bunch of legends. Um, I talked to Rosie Greer at length about these guys and, uh, he still uh, just he, he could tell you stories about Deacon too, but um, yeah, James with his stories with Hall of Famers, Chris, it's just awesome to have him on, and uh, you know, can't wait to speak with him again. All right, we've got our next guest, Tony Collins, hanging on the line. We're gonna get to Tony right on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. All right, now back with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Patriots Pro Bowl running back and TNT Guest Hall of Famer, Tony Collins. Hey, Tony, how are you, my friend? Good evening, Tony. You're doing fantastic. How you doing, Chris and Bob? 
Ah, we're really great. good, Tony. So, Tone, um, we're certainly going to get to our Super Bowl pick here in a moment, but I, I wanted to get uh, uh, some perspective from you and going back to your Super Bowl experience. And we've uh, we've talked about this with you in the past. We talked a little bit about it last week. But uh, for those folks who don't know, uh, you and uh, your uh, Patriot uh, teammates back in uh, the season of 1985, you guys went all the way to the Super Bowl ran into those 85 bears in that game. But um, I just kind of wanted to get the, a, a little bit of the memories from you as, as here we are on the Thursday prior to Super Bowl. What was it like for you guys as you were going into your last, you know, three or four days before the game? Now, you know, that game was down in New Orleans, so there's a lot of trouble to be had in New Orleans. How did, uh, how did Raymond Barry keep you guys uh, from uh, needing to be bailed out of jail or, or what have you prior to the Super Bowl? Funny story, man. We we um we had curfew the whole week. Um well we had we had to be in our room. I'm talking about like on like on Tuesday at at eleven o'clock. And so when we were when we were coming in uh for our curfew uh, the Bears stayed in the in the hotel, you know, really close to us. But when we were coming in to our hotel, the Bears were going out to go out and party. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're so we're thinking, you know, we're thinking, well, they, these guys are partying all week, man. <laughs> we we got curfew at eleven o'clock. We should be good. <laughs> was it, yeah. Was it, so that so that so that thing that that didn't work. Uh, but uh, the 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 big thing for for me to remember the the Super Bowl was was getting there. Um, one of the things that we did as a team, uh, we we won all three uh, playoff games on the road. I think that was like my, maybe one of the first times that had been done in a, in a, in a long long while uh, to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, uh, we played Miami in the AFC Championship and really. Be honest with you, that was that was our Super Bowl because it, it was we never beat Miami in Miami. I think it was maybe like twenty years or something like that, and we went down there and beat them, and uh, nobody thought we were going to beat. Them. Everybody wanted Chicago and, and Miami to play in the uh, Super Bowl because Miami was the only team to beat Chicago that year in the regular season, so everybody wanted to see that matchup. But uh, we we thought otherwise. But it, it, it was it was a fun ride. The other thing that I uh, uh, which these guys won't have a problem with this year is, you know, getting Super Bowl tickets for your family. That was one of the <laughs> one of the craziest things. So, and I come, and I have a big family. And all, all my family want to come to the to the, to the Super Bowl. So you know, you you know, you're trying to grapple up uh, 25 tickets <laughs> for the Super Bowl. Uh, it, it wasn't that easy, but I, I did manage to get. All my family members tickets to go to the Super Bowl, and uh, that that's a great. It, it was a great. It was a great time, even though we we didn't play well. Uh, it was just great, really being there and said that you know you know we had an opportunity to be world champions. And, you know, a lot of a lot of players, a lot of great players, uh, never make it to the Super Bowl. So it was an honor and a privilege to just to make it. Tony, we've also talked in the past about. Maybe the the Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl game might have been a little too big for uh, your quarterback Tony Eason, and and uh, I just want to kind of set the scenes for everybody. 
Um, AFC Championship game, Ethan goes 10 of 12 for 71 yards and three touchdowns. Now, 71 yards passing in the game, three touchdowns, like we said last week. One of those touchdowns was to a, a running back named Tony Collins. Um, but, you know, in that game against the Bears, he starts out 0 for 6, gets sacked three times, and ends up being replaced by Steve Grogan late in the second quarter. And when you look at Eason's 85 season, 11 touchdowns, 17 interceptions in the regular season, and actually got replaced in week six by Grogan after Eason threw a couple of picks in a game against the Jets. And at that point in the season, he only had four touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Unfortunately, Grogan ends up uh, breaking his leg in the second game against the Jets, so Eason back in. But just kind of wanted to get your thoughts real quick, Tony. If the season had played out and Grogan doesn't break his leg, and then comes into that game, and I, I would assume probably would have remained the starter for the rest of the season and started that game. Might it have been a different story? Let me tell you, Chris, I I I, I truly believe it would have been. Um, watching Tony play in that Super Bowl was, was really kind of uh, being in the huddle with him. He was really shaking, uh, really didn't know, didn't have the confidence. Uh, you know, I, I, you don't want to say he was. A, I, I don't want to say he was afraid, but he was. Uh, he was not Tony Eason that I, I knew when he was playing confident. He was wasn't playing with any confidence. But I, I you know, I, you never you never know. You know, you know. I I I believe on deep down inside, if he would wouldn't hadn't got injured that year, uh, we would have had a great chance of winning that Super Bowl. So you, you just never know. But uh, I I I really think that it would have it would have made a big difference in the outcome of the game. All right, let's get on to our Super Bowl pick, guys. And uh, Tony, this is the moment of truth because we're tied for the <laughs> for the uh, prognostication title so far. So uh, you know, I put the stink eye on you. Now, don't be wrong. If you're wrong, I'm gonna walk away with this belt. I promise you that. So, um, let me get your pick, Tony. Who do you like in the game and why? I I know who you're going to pick, but I'm going to tell you who I'm going to pick. Now, I've I, I seen a stat somewhere this week where Mahomes and Fisher, when they start games together, they're 27-1. and one. And when Mahomes and, and Fisher do, doesn't start together, they're three and three, and so that to me is really telling me something about how how good Fisher is as as an offensive tackle on that blind side for him. Now, their 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 right offensive tackle was injured early in the season, so now they're missing two of their offensive tackles. One of the keys in the game, I, I truly believe, is. Is getting pressure on on the on those two quarterbacks. I'm talking about Mahomes and Brady, and I really feel that um, Tampa Bay is going to bring that pressure uh, up the middle and 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 on the outside with Pierre Paul, where they're going to they're going to get to Mahomes more than often. There, there's 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 three ways to beat Mahomes. You, you, you sack him enough, you, you keep him off the field, and you have Tom Brady as your quarterback, and I and I truly believe, man, this is just you know I, you know it's just I I don't think Brady can lose this game. He 
it's hard to beat Brady twice in one year. And Mahomes have done it already. Beat him, beat him already. It's going to be tough to beat Brady again. And they're playing at home. And that's, you know, you don't know how, how special that is for a, a, a team uh, to play a Super Bowl in your home stadium. That, that's, that's not even heard of before. You know, it's, it's something that I, I, they have the advantage. I mean, not not that there's gonna be a whole lot of fans there, but yet and still, you're in the comfort of your home and your home stadium. So I'm gonna tell you, man. As much as I like Mahomes, and I'm a fan of Mahomes, and I'm a fan of Brady too, I gotta go with Brady. I I think they're they're gonna pull it off, man. Brady's gonna, you know, you know, really be the goat. You know, he's already the goat, but for him to pull off something like this, coming from New England and going to Tampa Bay for the, in the very first year and winning the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay is going to win 31-23. Okay. All right. Bob, what do you think? Well, Chris, as you know, I had KC uh, playing mm-hmm. New Orleans in the Super Bowl. Um, got one there. Uh, and, you know, there's the reasons – that Casey got there were no different than the reasons I picked them back in August. Uh, as Tony said, you know, the only thing that could stop them is if this offensive line becomes a problem. But I think the type of coach Andy Reid is, he's probably coached all week uh, with this in mind. Uh, the guy's a genius when it comes to play calling. And uh, and I, I could see him working around this somehow. And, and the way Mahomes is already very versatile with what he can do. And, and nobody's going to be able to guard Kelsey. We've all agreed on that. He'll probably catch another 12 balls, maybe a couple touchdowns. Um, I just got to go with Kansas City. I, I think what, the running game, that that hasn't been mentioned, I think they might be a factor in this game, uh, especially if the weather isn't that good. Uh, so I'm going to go with KC, Chris. I'm going to go KC 34-27. Okay. And Tony? I'm going to blow your mind a little bit here. So (laughs) this is going to come down to points because as much as I don't want Tom Brady to win a seventh ring, he's becoming like the Bill Russell of the NFL, Bob. And Russell won 11 NBA championships with the Celtics. I don't want Brady to cover every finger and then some with a ring. You know, and hyping this game, right? Everyone thought the old lion, you know, to the young lion and all that sort of stuff. And we talked at the top of the show about, you know, Brady wanting to play until he's 50. And I don't know if that's realistic, you know, or that's just talk or wh- what his mindset is. But here's the thing. The Bucks' run defense was number one in the regular season, and there's been no letdown in the postseason. Chiefs' defense was 21st against the run. So I think, you know, the Bucks and Fournette are going to have some room. Bucks have averaged 31 points per game in the postseason, and they've allowed 22. Bucks' defense, fourth in the league in sacks with 48. Chiefs, 19th with 32 to beat Brady and and Tony, you allude to this. You got to make him uncomfortable, right? We hear all the time. You got to get him to move off his spot. You got to make him run around. You got to get him out of the pocket. The Chiefs just aren't great at that. And then you add into the mix that, you know, to your point, Tony, the Chiefs starting tackles out. Their replacements are going to be dealing with Devin White and Shaq Barrett and JPP. All of those guys had eight to nine and a half sacks this season. The Bucks defense, Third in quarterback knockdowns, third in quarterback hurries, Chiefs, 20th in hurries. And they're, they've allowed the fifth most yards after catch. I mean, if you don't, if you're not going to hurry Brady, 
and you're going to give up a whole lot of yards after the catch. We all know Tom Brady's going to pick you apart. So, Tony, as much as I hate to say it, I'm going to take Tampa <laughs> Bay, too. And I'm going to say it's going to be a little bit higher scoring game than what you had. I have a, I have them beating the Chiefs 31-27. You have it 31-23. So I got 58 points. You got 54. So, you know, we'll see which one of us is closer on the score and points to decide <laughs> which one of us wins. And the, so the opposite side of the coin tone is if, if Kansas City pulls it off and we're both wrong and Bob's right, then it's just on the point to decide which one of us wins the title. All right. <laughs> Got so, it. Uh, all right. Tony, before we let you go, remind our listeners about the great stuff you do helping kids go to college. TonyCollinsFoundation.org. Man, we're hoping that this COVID thing is going to go away so we can get back on track at, uh, doing our tournament this year. So we're helping these kids up in the upstate part of New York get off to college. Tony, you're the best, my friend. We'll, we'll look forward to uh, seeing you crying in your beard next Thursday night after uh, after the Bucks win with a bunch of points. I can't wait, my friend. I couldn't be more excited for next Thursday. <laughs> All right, guys. God bless. Man. Have a good one. See you, Tony. Stay safe. That's a great Tony Collins. We've got our next guest, Nick Lowry, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Nick right on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tailgate. All right, now back with us here on Thursday night, tailgate is former Chiefs and Jets Pro Bowl kicker and TNT guest Hall of Famer and should be Pro Football Hall of Famer, Nick Lowry. Tonight's Nick's 13th appearance with us on the show, dating all the way back to August 30th of 2012. It's been a wonderful nine-year relationship with Nick. Let me remind you about the great things that Nick has achieved in the NFL and beyond. He's a three-time Pro Bowler and a two-time All-Pro, ranks 15th all-time in field goals made and attempted. He's the Chiefs' all-time leader in points scored. Nick received the Byron Wizard White Award from the NFL Players Association in 1993 for the great work he continues to do in the community. He was elected to the Chiefs Hall of Fame in 2009. But on top of all the great things that he has done in the field, what has kind of stuck with both Bob and I about Nick are all the great things he's done off the field. He established the Nick Lowry Youth Foundation dedicated to helping disadvantaged youth, especially with Native Americans. And at the forefront, of Nick's campaign is something near and dear to our hearts is the fight against bullying. Nick has also been a champion for the homeless. He's involved with Global Village Champions Foundation, which is a world leader delivering nutritious food to needy people all over the world. He's also involved with organizations doing brain research that could eventually help those suffering from brain injuries. So it's easy to see why we think so highly of Nick. And a guy that could be in our spotlight on the positive segment every single week. And we're very honored. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Nick, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Nick. Hey, guys. Uh, you know what? This is our 13th date. I mean, we gotta we got to decide if we're going to get serious now and go steady. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a ring on it at some point, Nick. I promise you that. Uh, I can't believe that so 13 times. In in nine years, it's awesome. Yeah, it really is. We can't thank you enough for all of that, Nick. 
Nick, I want to start by, you know, kind of really talking about some of the charitable things. Like I mentioned in your intro, you have done so much for so many people and, and across all of the different charitable uh, organizations that you help support. Talk about some of the things you're, uh, you're doing now. Well, um, you know, I started something called Native Vision back in the day, and, and uh, that's how I got it started to be working with American Indians. And by the way, uh, Russell Beans, who is a big advocate and starred in uh, Last of the Mohicans and, you know, really quite famous Native American, he preferred American Indians over Native Americans um, because the Native American one is a governmental term. I love the work there, and it's so ironic because Dartmouth was originally a school for Indians. The chiefs obviously named with an Indian theme, um, but and and respectful, uh, really, uh, for the most part. But you know, the the biggest work I do now is with the homeless. Uh, I, I love the work we've done with bullying, but. Champions for the Homeless during this COVID time has really resonated with me and very proud to say, and thanks for asking, that uh, we were able to make uh, Phoenix, where I live now, I do go back to Kansas City quite a bit, um, the first city in the country to provide free COVID testing for the homeless. And by the way, for what it's worth, and this is now when there were no tests virtually available at the end of April, early May, uh, we provided 200 tests for the homeless. And guess how many tested positive? None. None. Exactly. You're the first person that ever said that. And, um, you know, it's gotten worse. It's not it's not as, uh, you know, pristine as it was before. But uh, we also provided tests for the veterans. And we're going to be doing our, our next Champions for the Homeless on Valentine's Day at St. Vincent de Paul. But instead of having four to five hundred volunteers serving a thousand homeless, we'll be down to about 12 or 15 people volunteering because of COVID. But, you know, what's interesting is we did this at two on Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, and we had music, et cetera, and we did one on Christmas. And to see the surprise that our homeless brothers and sisters had at St. Vincent de Paul in downtown Phoenix, that we were still doing it. You know, and to me, sort of like that team, you know, that comes in when things get tough, they just double down and get it done. And uh, the interesting thing, by the way, just to make a nice segue to football is, both these coaches, I love to death. Bruce Arians was one of my coaches for the Chiefs for five years. He coached Chris Nicoye to the rushing title back in 89 and uh, coached here in, in Arizona. Uh, and, and I texted him after they won their game and said, Coach, I won't be rooting for you in this game, and you know why, but I, I've always and will always vote root for you as a human being, just a great guy. And then Andy Reid is, you know, <laughs> please show me somebody that doesn't like Andy Reid. And these guys get their, their teams to play hard. I, I would say Bruce Arians is maybe a little tougher um, and more, uh, you know, intense in certain ways. But Andy's got his own intensity in terms of his creativity as well. So not only is it the two greatest quarterback, I mean, maybe the greatest quarterback, you know, confrontation ever uh, and the way it's set up as the goat and the kid, but, you know, two of the most interesting coaches as well. So I love the work we do uh, in the community because. It is about character in its own way. It's about saying we care about you and we, and we will rise to the occasion and do even more because we have to do more. There's a 20% increase in shelterless homelessness now. And, uh, you know, with the rent issues coming due, there are going to be even more people homeless. There's a 20 to 30% increase in suicide, not just with people with COVID, but people that just have lost their 
their livelihoods and, you know, have been isolated and depressed. So, you know, it's a time when we've got to step up and I'd rather channel my energy into doing something productive and constructive than feeling sorry for myself. And it's really been, you know, the best way through this very difficult time for all of us. And Nick, um, to your point about this, let's segue into football. And before we talk about this year's game, I want to kind of go back to last year. I mean, it was a long wait for Kansas City Chiefs fans to be able to celebrate a Super Bowl. You got to go back to the 60s uh, for that. Um, your thoughts after what was it like for you and uh, how did you celebrate last year's victory? Well, you know, I was I was there. I went to every playoff game. I was in the booth right next to Tony Romo, uh, you know, in his booth, uh, right there in the front row watching that game on the field afterwards. Just so gratifying. Spending time with Lee Steinberg, who's Patrick Mahomes' agent, who was my agent for 10 years, and Randy Mahomes and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes Sr., and um, and then went to the Super Bowl, and my friend Harris Faulkner from Fox News, she'd been the anchor in Kansas City, so she invited me to go with her. And so we were right there, and then went to the parade, and, you know, just it was so soulfully satisfying after all that. And everybody's like, aren't you jealous? No. I'm just glad we finally did it, man. It's just, it's kind of like the woman that you just gave up on, you know, that, you know, you, you, you courted forever, and it's just never going to happen. And then when you just decide it's never going to happen, it's over, you've moved on, and then she calls you up and says, let's get married. I mean, it was awesome. It really, really was gratifying, and not only because they won, but because the way they win. They win with Brett Beach and great talent, Andy Reid and the way he treats his players and the creativity and genius he has, and then Patrick Mahomes and his wonderful combination of extreme confidence combined with humility and, you know, the sense of team. So his players – you and I know this, right? Every great quarterback, and I got to play with Joe Montana, and I've spent some time with Joe Namath, actually more than some people would realize. Um, you know, you see these guys, and you realize that their players love them, man. They love them, and they will sacrifice in an emotional game that's really physical like football. They will sacrifice for the great quarterbacks, not just because they're great passers or whatever it is technically, in the physical aspects of the game, but because they really care about each other. That's what separates this team. And I was hearing how, you know, there's every bit of a chance that the Bucks can win, but and, and certainly they got Tom Brady. But, you know, 90% of the guys that were on that team last year are back on the team this year in Kansas City. So there's a residence they have. And, uh, you know, I just love watching Patrick Mahomes and this team. So it's gratifying, man, gratifying to see not only a team win like this, but to win as a true team. It's great for this community. We waited 50 years, and now we've got a potential dynasty. Bob, questions for Nick? Nick, it's great to speak with you again, and uh, I I don't want to come out as a downer here, but we were told this week that Marty Schottenheimer, after Alzheimer's, has now been moved to a hospice facility. And I know you played for Marty, and. I mean, one of a, a, a tremendous coach with an incredible resume. Just wanted to get your quick memories of what it was like playing for him and, and a legacy that he'll leave someday. Well, I just wrote a tribute to him on Instagram and on Facebook. If you'll go to Nick the Kicker, Nick Lowry. Um, I talked to Kurt Schottenheimer. He called me today. Kurt was my position coach, special teams coach uh, under Marty, and then went on to being uh, his own defensive coordinator. 
uh, with Detroit and I think San Francisco and um, Marty, uh, my brother has Alzheimer's and I've been helping him for two years and I have a little bit of a feeling for what they've been through. It's been 10 years now when Marty was inducted into the Chiefs Hall of Fame and my name's right next to him on the stadium. Do you think that doesn't mean just so much to me? Uh, but, you know, back then, that, that just before I go into some of the great memories with Marty uh, as a coach, uh, I'm in the uh, owner's suite next to Marty. He's just been inducted, and he, he looks back at me, and he goes, hey, Nick, why, why aren't you on the field? You know, you should be down there playing. And, and you know, so just an indication of that. But but Marty is happy, according to Kurt. Um, he, what happens with Alzheimer's without going into too much detail is, uh, the loss of executive function. And so that's unfortunately the sad part of it is that, you know, things like eating become less, um, something that they really remember how to do or need to do. But having said that, Pat has been with him by his side all this time. He's been in a rest home for a couple years, but, you know, they see him all the time. And unfortunately, this is that stage. But they all are grateful for the life Marty had. And I'll just tell you, Marty Schottenheimer came in. I'm sitting in the front row in, in the main team meeting room in Arrowhead Stadium. And uh, Carl Peterson has just introduced him and saying the famous Vince Lombardi quote, winning is a habit, unfortunately, so also is losing. And establishing that winning attitude. And Marty stands up and his hands are shaking. I'm thinking this guy cares so much about what he feels and says that you can actually see it. And and that's the coach he was. Uh, he was a uh, no BS, tough guy, expected you to work your tail off and then perform in the game. And as long as that happened, he was loyal as hell. And he always did a great job, just a tremendous job of laying out what every person on the team had to do, how he had to beat the team. And uh, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He, You know, I, I don't care if Tom Flores is a friend. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's got two Super Bowls. But if you could compare the, the records of, you know, the total records of, what is it, 200-plus wins and maybe 128 losses, uh, he deserves it because, you know, he really established uh, a consistency over many years that very few coaches have achieved. And for us in Kansas City, he gave me a chance, as I wrote today um, in Instagram and on, on Facebook, I wanted to attribute to him because he gave us a taste of what it was like to be part of a great team and a great organization. And suddenly, Kansas City, which had about 23,000 people in the stands, you know, in 88, suddenly we're, you know, at full 78,000 people in 1990. In two years, it just exploded. And to play with Steve DeBerg, David Craig, and then, of course, Joe Montana, Marcus Allen, Derek Thomas, Neil Smith, I mean, we, but it was the, the coach that set the tone because in one, literally one week of preseason, that team that was a moribund, mediocre franchise the year before with a different coach was tough as nails. It was just incredible to see how one person could set the tone and uh, that's how he played. And, um, it was just great to know what it was like to be part of a great organization and a great team. And um, it, it's too bad. when If you look back in the 2006 season when Marty was in San Diego and they were 14-2 and two and they're playing in the playoffs against Tom Brady, 
and they intercept Tom Brady right at the near the end of the game. If that defensive back, who shall remain nameless, had just laid down on the ground, not tried to return it, Marty Schottenheimer would have been in the Super Bowl. So, you know, uh, a great man, a great person, a great leader. And for those of us that played in the National Football League, to have a chance to witness great men, great teachers who love what they do and teach us to be better people. That's what it's all about. And Nick, we uh, we also lost Tom Dempsey last spring. Um, he passed away in April, and for years, as you know, he had that the record sixty-three yard field goal that lasted so many, so many years. I had a chance to speak with him maybe five, six years ago. Very low-key guy, uh, great sense of humor. But I was looking at your career. You kicked three or four field goals longer than 57 yards. Uh, and I'm sure you remember in 1970 when he kicked that, Nick. Uh, did you ever have the opportunity, number one, to kick something from 63? Or do you ever regret not having a shot to at least like tie that record? I, I never did. Um, I had the all-time record for RFK Stadium. And of course, the Redskins are now called the Washington football team don't play there anymore. Um, and that was also still the longest NFL field goal in history still in the first quarter. Um, and that was 58 yarder. And then I had a 58 yarder in, in Arrowhead and a 57 yarder in my first game kicking field goals for the Chiefs. So, um, but you know, if I played in Denver, <laughs> might have had a few more chances if I played indoors, you know, uh, the opening game of the 85 season. I never played in New Orleans again. In that opening game, in the first 19 minutes, I had a 48-yarder over the net, a 52-yarder over the net, a 52-yarder, and a 36-yarder. And unfortunately, I didn't get any more attempts. But if I'd gotten the kick in New Orleans, I think I might have had a shot there too. But that field goal really, um, you know, it, it just seemed to go forever. It was a last-minute, you know, run-on kick. And it was over the 50-yard line because back then the goalposts were on the goal line, not at the end zone. So, uh, but it was, you know, it was a mark. It's one of those things. So like Bob Beeman jumping 29 feet, you know, it was, it was just something to shoot for that you never thought was possible. Nick, you mentioned uh, Joe Namath uh, a, a few minutes ago and you played your last three seasons uh, for the Jets. Talk about your interactions with Namath and some of the all-time great Jets that uh, you had an opportunity to to speak with. Well, um, I got, Joe Namath to come. It was the first time he traveled in two years. And uh, he, his daughter had had a, his grandchild in Florida, and he just didn't want to move. And, and as, he, uh, <laughs> as he related to me, I got him to fly into Phoenix. And um, he had a couple of interviews there, and then we were going to go give a tribute to one of his great teammates, in, in Don Maynard, another Hall of Famer in uh, Tucson. So we had two hours to talk, and he goes, Nick, you know, I just read too many articles about uh, cracks and fuselages. I just didn't feel too excited about flying planes. But I got him to to, to get over that and come visit so we could honor Don Maynard. And um, what, getting back to that, you know, the, uh, the way that he and, and Kenny Stabler, another University of Alabama guy, you know, you can just see how the teammates just fall in love with these guys. They're just such good people. Joe Namath, we get to to Tucson, and it's 
at a casino there and everybody wants his autograph. So I'm standing next to him. I'm the MC for the event. And after two hours of standing and him signing autographs, people are wanting him to eat a little, quick little bit of dinner. Now it's three hours. Finally, after four hours, I said, so you got to eat, man. And I, and I, my ankle wasn't, uh, wasn't very good back then. It started to swell up a little bit. <laughs> Because Nick, I can't sit down if there's one person that needs an autograph. I just, I just can't do it. And uh, you know, it just made me realize he really, truly is one of the kindest people I've ever met. And I think while his personality is different, let's say from Joe Montana, etc., it's that uniform sense of caring for your teammates, not just. And that's what Patrick Mahomes has and Tom Brady has. That they, they just are true leaders. And Joe Namath is just a truly sweet guy. I think from what he's been through, I think he just gratitude is the word that comes to mind. He's so uniformly, authentically grateful for his life. And, um, you know, people love him uh, in, in a really unequivocal way. He truly is loved because he's just that kind of a special person. So I'm, I feel very lucky. In fact, I won't forget this. You know, when you play in the NFL, and I, my worst season was 89. And I'd had four different holders. It was Marty's first year. And we're playing Miami in Miami. And it was freezing temperature at 32 degrees at, at kickoff, which feels like 20 degrees in Miami. I mean, it really did. And uh, I had to kick a game-winning field goal from the right hash to, to help us finish the season, um, you know, 500, which was a, a big step for us as, a, as an organization. And uh, watching the game cast later, I saw how here's a guy that could have jumped on me and said, hey, he's missed this field goal. I've had a good year. And Joe was just very diplomatic. And, you know, luckily I did make that kick. But you just remember that some announcers, shall we say, you know, want to be, um, you know, have that edge. And, and they deserve to say whatever they have a right to say, whatever is, you know, their take on somebody. But Joe is such a gentleman. And, uh, you know, he wasn't just Broadway Joe. I think he was Gentleman Joe. And I feel truly honored to say I had some special time with him. Nick, before we let you go, we got to get your uh, thoughts on the game Sunday. So what do you think are the keys for the uh, Chiefs to, uh, to beat the Bucks and uh, for the young lion to beat the GOAT? <laughs> well, um, you know, the left tackle is an issue that, that Andy's had a couple weeks, Andy Reid's had a couple weeks to look at is how do we create that time for Patrick? Because he'd gotten into a bad habit of running on almost every play just because he can. And then in the playoffs, he's been restored to a little bit, you know, more strategic choices of when to run. And it makes him much more effective. And coming back from that concussion on top of the injured toe, you know, he, you could see how he could step and push into the ball and when he, the guy can plant his back foot and on balance throw <laughs> it's just ridiculous how accurate he can be and and uh i think we have to provide some protection secondly if we can get some running game going i know tampa bay has a great run defense i think our running game is under appreciated i don't think we have a superstar um you know but i think uh edward Tiller will be okay i'm not sure about Le'Veon bell what's going on with him but but williams uh, has shown something. So if we can establish the run, one, and two, not turn the ball over, they will not beat us. They they won't. And the third thing is just 
absolutely true, which is uh, Steve Spagnola knows how to put pressure on Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, Joe Namath, Joe Montana, doesn't matter who it is, the greatest quarterbacks of all time, when they have pressure on them, they're not the same. And I, I, I'm, I'm call, I love Tom Brady. I think he's one of the great leaders of all time. Uh, it's really going to be hard to match uh, his record in the next 100 years. But he gets a little irritable when he doesn't have time to throw. Look what happened to Aaron Rodgers, right? Just not the same quarterback. And that was the NFL, everybody say, says, was the, the NFL MVP this year, Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, when he was sacked, what was it, six times? You know, just not the same thing. So pressure on Brady, run the ball, establish that early, provide just a little bit of protection. And I think it'll be close at the end of three quarters, and I think we end up winning a kind of a high-scoring game, 37-28. Wow. Okay. Very good. Nick, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, at Lowry Nick on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Nick Lowry, Nick the Kick on Facebook. And just go to Nick Lowry, N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y dot org. And uh, check out, just put my name in there and Champions for the Homeless. And I just, just call out to anybody looking for something to make their lives feel uh, more complete, sense of purpose in their lives. Uh, check out Champions for the Homeless and see if maybe there's something that resonates with you doesn't have to be that that fills your life with a sense of contribution and if you can share that with your kids and other young people that's what's missing today the kids that discover their power to help others they they have the only kind of healthy addiction and uh, they're changed forever and that's that's a passion that uh, and the joy that I have and the privilege I have to do what I do today and a lot of athletes do that taste this well, Nick, we can't thank you enough for being so great and uh, being a part of the show as you have been over the years. You're absolutely one of our favorites. The great things that uh, not only you accomplished on the field, but even more so for the greater things that you're doing off the field. Thank you for all of that on behalf of, you know, the planet owes you a thank you for all the great things that you do. And we owe God you a big you, one Chris. for being such a great uh, guest. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your show, brother. All right. Take care, Nick. All the best to you and your family. Thank you, Nick. Safe. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. See you, Nick. That's the great Nick Lowry. We've got our next guest, Vincey Glenn, hanging on the line. We're going to get to our guy, Vincey, right on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, when guys. The door is locked, there's no way out. All right, now back in making his 11th appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is uh, is former Patriots, Chargers, Saints, Vikings, and Giants defensive back and TNT Guest Hall of Famer, Vincey Glenn. It's always great when we get to have a Guest Hall of Famer back on the show, and uh, especially when it's a guy who means so much to us on a personal level as well uh, as Vincey does. Vincey has been a, a wonderful friend. Uh, going back many, many years here on the show, uh, we've had uh, the, the wonderful privilege to spend some time with with Venti. And uh, one of the great things that uh, that you learn about Venti Glenn when you spend time with him uh, is just what a great human being he is. The guy's got a smile that uh, that lights up every room he walks into. Uh, he's got more friends than uh, than you can shake a stick at. 
And, um, you know, when, when you're around him, uh, you just feel better. He makes everything in life better when, when he's a part of it. Uh, you, you look back at his play, you know, at his, as his background and his playing career. He's from Grambling, Louisiana, played his college ball at Indiana State, where he still holds the record for career interceptions with 17. Uh, and the record for the longest interception return for a touch on 100 yards against Wayne State back in 1984. In 85, he was uh, named first team All American as well as a first team All Missouri Valley Conference player. That year, he was also named the Missouri Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year. He was inducted into the Indiana State Hall of Fame in 99. He was a second-round pick of the Patriots in 86. He played in the league from 86 to 95, and over the course of his playing career and at the pro level, 642 tackles, 35 interceptions, recovered nine fumbles, scored three touchdowns. Uh, like I say, he goes back to November of 2014, uh, as a member of the TNT family. That's why he's a TNT guest Hall of Famer, not only for the longevity and now the 11th time that he's come on the show, but uh, for telling it like it is over all of those years uh, and just being a special person. And we're very excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Vinci, Chris, and Bob, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Chris, Bob, how are you guys? Thanks, pal, for that introduction. And Man, I was busy. <laughs> I was busy all them <laughs> yes, years. I'm like, wow, all them stats. I said, man, you was busy, B. Glenn. But it's, it's great to be <laughs> back on. It's just so good to hear you guys and some good voices and some some good conversation. And Nick Lowry coming on, listening to him, who I know personally, and uh, and got so much respect for it as as a player as well and the things he's doing. Uh, outside of football and just the stories he was saying about Joe Namath. And I can reiterate on that because I played in Joe Namath Celebrity Golf Tournament every year for about five years and, and the last couple I haven't. And man, Joe is just the nicest guy in the world. And I've had personal conversations with him, taking pictures with him. And he, he, Nick is right on. It's, he's just one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. And it's a pleasure to be around him, guys. But. Hey, it's a pleasure to be around you guys, too, and be a part of this show and the history of this show and be a, in a group of illustrious people that have been on your show in the past. You you guys do a good job of making people feel welcome when they come on the show and being able to let people understand the things that are dear to them as well as other than just on the corporate side of being an athlete and the way uh, fans uh, see athletes. So once you get to know people and see the things they're doing, it's, it's even a better draw to the show and, and an attraction. So I thank you. Ah, we appreciate that, Vince. So, Vince, I, I, I want to pick your brain and go back uh, to the Senior Bowl of 1986. You played in that in that game. Uh, they just said, you know, Senior Bowl was just this past weekend. And you got on that team or and that group of players that were there in the 86 Senior Bowl, guys like Bo Jackson, our good friend Mark Collins was there, Pat Swilling, Ernest Givens, Mark Rippin, John Offerdahl, Will Wolford. I could just go on and on uh, that uh, the great players uh, along with you that played in that game. What do you remember about being a part of that senior bowl? It is so funny you say that, man, because uh, I can't even, it's, it's, his name can't even come. There's a guy doing Bo Jackson's uh, biography. Uh, I, I know his name, like mine, but I just, I'm going brain dead right now. Forgive me. And he called me like a month ago, got my number from a, a good friend, said, Hey, 
I'm doing bowls, and I just want to talk to you about the senior bowl and your memory of playing against him. And if you ever talk to Mark Collins, and I hope you do, about this, and I, and I told the guy, I said, hey, there's a play. The South was on the goal line, and Bo Jackson tried to go over top three times. And myself and my defensive partners and John Offerdahl met him each time. And I got a picture, and I'm scrolling through my phone right now that I'm going to send over to you when I find it, of me and John Offerdahl going over the top to meet Bo on the goal line. So that's the kind of thing. But the real thing I remember is me and Mark Collins being from small schools. And, you know, as a senior bowl, you got the Alabamas, the Auburns, the USC's. And I went to Indiana State. The biggest crowd I played in front of at home was uh, 15,000 my junior year. You know what I'm saying? So when you talk about Bo Jackson, somebody you done watched for four years, you know, because we're the same age, that was, it was just phenomenal just to be on the same field with him and to be at that level. And we had chips on our shoulder. And I'll never forget Mark Collins standing up and, quote, unquote, he had his Miami Vice uh, shirt on because he went to Cal Fullerton. He had his Miami Vice jacket on, little white jacket. It's cold in Alabama. And he got this on and looking like, you know, Miami Vice. And he says, my name Mark Collins. I'm the best DB in the draft, but you can call me MC. And sat back down. I said, that's a bad man right there, boy. That's a bad man, dude. And I got up and defensive defensive back in there and stayed and sat back down. But we went in there with chips on our shoulders. And, and I'll never forget it. And we still talk about it to this day because he's one of my good friends. Because we're both uh, number 25. And when I went to the Giants, I wore the number that he wore there at the Giants. So, you know, that we got a great bond together. From that, from that time. It's funny that you asked that. And then see the following year, 1987, you're playing out in San Diego for the Chargers, and um, you have the third longest interception return for a touchdown in NFL history, 103 yards against John Elway and the Broncos. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. What do you remember about that play and how you were able to read it, jump the route, and then take it all the way back 103 yards. <laughs> you ever heard the word deja vu? And mm -hmm. that's pretty much what happened on that play. Uh, in 1984, the first game my junior year at uh, at Indiana State, the first game of the season against Wayne State, I picked off the exact same play, double slant, against Wayne State and went 102 yards, but you only get credit. 100 in college. Seeing it, it was like deja vu. And I knew Elway loved a double slant backside. He liked the number two guy. And I let number one pass and I stayed deep and just waited for number two to come and just stepped in front of it. So it was like deja vu. And I had been there and I knew what to do once I got it. I just ran. And then when I broke the tackle of uh, one of the linemen from behind me, I knew I was going to the house. But uh, yeah, it was like deja vu from a, a just really three years three years earlier. And then, see, we haven't talked a, a lot about your one season in New Orleans, but, you know, again, from Grambling, Louisiana, get an opportunity to yeah. go home and, and play in front of the the home fans, essentially, for, for a season. Was that a dream scenario for you, or was it challenging having to play in front of uh, family and friends and all the folks uh, back in Louisiana? 
Chris, you know, I, I left Louisiana when I was uh, nine. You know, I moved to D.C., me and my immediate family. But all my relatives are still there and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, it was kind of – it ended up being a great great opportunity and a great experience for me and uh, probably what, what I needed for the time. But I was – when I went there, it was just – because I had just left the charges under bad circumstances. You know, just – felt, you know, like one of those athletes, like I felt like I was kind of betrayed. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh-huh. and so it was, so when I went there and how I got there was just, I get, so this is what happened. So I, I get, I get uh, plan B. Back then it was called plan B free agency. So I take plan, they put me on plan B. They're not bringing me back. So what happens, Al, Al, Al Davis scoops me up from the Raiders. Cause he always used to come talk to me because I played against Bo Jackson, Marcus, and all of them. So he know me, you know, he know my history. So uh, he comes scoops me up, and that's the same time they brought Ronnie Lottie. Remember, Ronnie went to the uh, Raiders from from right. uh, San Francisco. So it's me, Ronnie Lott, and Eddie Anderson was already the starter, free safety at a uh, at a uh, the Raiders, and he was pretty good. Plus, he was kind of a friend of mine, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, we had respect for each other, just how it was back then. And so uh, now the Raiders got me back there, and they're like, okay, he should be starting, but we can't just, you know, give 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 him Eddie, you know, spot. And then Dan Lamb was the backup safety to Eddie, but he was their best special teams guy, their special teams player, you know, and so – how do you get rid of him? So it becomes a number game. And they ended up trading me to uh, New Orleans, uh, like second preseason game. And so I went down to New Orleans. And Jimmy Moore, who was my defensive back coach in uh, in San Diego, his daddy was the head coach. So Jim Moore knew me very well. I knew the Moore family very well. So Jim brought me in, and I had a, a – Oh, uh, defensive coordinator, still a oh, great guy. Uh, I'm just going brain dead, but uh, went in there and I led the team in interceptions, had five. You know, <laughs> it was funny, and I wasn't starting full time. I come in on nickel situations and certain defensive schematics, you know. And at the same time, I wasn't playing a lot, but my body was getting a rest from not starting. You know, 65 plays a game too, where I'm just playing, you know, 30 on defense. But I ended up, you know, we, we won the division that year in New Orleans. That's when the Tatin came out, Bobby A. Baird, Dalton Hillian, and Eric Martin. And I had the best linebacker core I ever seen, you know, since the, uh, Patriot days when I had Vaughn, 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 uh, God, man, I'm going back. Sam Mills, uh, Pat Swilling, Von Jackson, Jackson, and, uh, Von Johnson. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, bad, bro. You're talking about some bad boys. I played back there with Brett Maxey, who is the defensive back coach at, uh, Tampa Bay now, I believe. So we had a great team that year. We lost in the playoffs to, uh, Dion and, 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 uh, Atlanta and all them guys. So that was a great year. Then I knew I wasn't going to be out right. And Tony Dungy had always wanted me since I was in college. And, when he went to Minnesota and brought me in with Danny Green and all them, I was like, yeah, let's go roll. And that was the best, you know, one of the best three years of my life playing and learning the game of football 
Darren Case was, was our defensive uh, back coach in uh, in uh, in New Orleans. That's his name, Darren Capers. and uh, he's a good guy. Learned a lot, smart. That was the, that was really the first time I really learned football because in San Diego we played we played man to man like seventy percent of the time in San Diego. We we had a great pass rush. We just let them go, and so. Uh, when I got to New Orleans, we did zone blitzes and all kind of things, and it was like, wow, it was a whole new experience. And then I, when I got under Tony Dungy, it just became a whole new experience of just learning different schematics. I thought Don Capers was a very good defensive coordinator. I mean, a defensive back coach. And then I had Willie Shaw, who's my good friend and and my my mentor, and Tony in Minnesota. So that, that was fun. Five questions for Venti. Yeah, we always look forward to having you back, Vincey, and uh, we hope you're well. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, you know, you bring up Indiana State. I want to mention the second most famous person to ever come out of there, Larry Bird. And if you guys, uh, if your paths ever crossed, but whether on the golf course or something, and what do you remember about his career? Man, you want to hear something funny. So when Larry Bird was doing his thing, I was sitting at home watching, you know, back in D.C., and I was a big University of Maryland fan and, mm-hmm. and, and, and all that. So I'm sitting at home watching all that with Adrian Branch and them guys. And then I go to Indiana State, but I have never, and I was a Magic fan anyway. I wasn't pulling against Larry, but I really didn't know anything about Indiana State. Mm-hmm. And um, then I go there, and I've never met him. So, a year ago, I was at a Pacer game with my buddy, and I'm sitting about 15 feet straight across from Larry. And I've never met him. And I'm sure he knows who I am. He now you know he never met me. So I'm, 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 I'm sure he's that intelligent. At least know the name. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, he was only like, what, six years before me going there? Yeah. And, you know, I did, I did a few things to be recognized. And, uh, I saw him, my buddy, I was like, Cal, you don't ever do nothing for you. Like, man, just, man, introduce me to Larry one day. Man, I'd be honored just to shake his hand and meet him, man. But I've never mm-hmm. met him, man. I, I never met him and I never crossed paths with him or any anything like that. So that's kind of funny, but yeah. yeah. But I'm always there. honored that uh, I'm on the mural on the side of the athletic building next to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just just in the same cool. breath with him. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And, Vincey, we, uh, we've we been on a roll this past month talking about, quote-unquote, tackling in the NFL. Over Ooh. the past month, we had Arthur Motes and Greg Lloyd and Victor Green uh, just been beside themselves because, you know, it, it's a game of hitting now, and we know that. I mean, it's, it's guys come out of college, and, Vince, i got to get your your whole – aspect about what's going on at the college level. I mean, do these guys know how to tackle? Are they taught to tackle? Does this go back to high school? Are we ever going to see this change back to the point where guys can wrap up and prevent guys from maybe running for another six, seven yards? Man, that is such the backbone of the problem of the NFL. Um, Man, it's one thing about, I love the NFL, and it gave, gave me a great opportunity, but this is just ridiculous how they think that they can, and it's almost like con, con, trying to control a caged lion or a caged animal. 
And then when the alligator snap your head off, you say, man, I can't believe the alligator snapped my head off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like you, you teach guys to do stuff. It's like in the military. It's like, okay, somebody, you know, and I and I love the military. I got so much respect because I don't want to say anything out of context, so I won't. I'll do I'll just say it's like being in a fight. It's like, man, they they got guns and we got sticks. That ain't like no fair fight, man. I can't do do nothing. And then they say if I hit them with the stick, I got to use the, the soft end of the stick. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, man. I mean, I, they already outgunned me. Now nah, I got to use the soft end of the stick I got. And I ain't got nothing but a stick. It's, how can it's so crazy for me to sit there and say this guy intentionally ran. Now, there's some plays where guys do leave with their helmet and they should be uh, uh, penalized. But other plays are just football plays, man. Just straight the game. You know, it's, it's like it's like boxing or MMA. You hit a guy in the head because his head is moving over to the right. You kick him inside the head because he happens to go the same way you kick him. And you penalize and say, hey, man, you ain't give a fair chance to be still when you kick him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he yeah. knows that you're trying to, trying to, he knows you're trying to kick him. So it's, yeah. it's like, so these guys go out there where they know that, hey, man, I don't have to tackle. The league say I don't have to tackle. No, I know my coaches and my teammates want me to, but the league say I don't have to tackle. And then if you are an aggressive player, Every time you hit somebody aggressively, they're going to throw the flag because the coaches on the sideline going to jump up crying. The players on the field going to jump up crying. The offensive lineman going to run up and hit you late and fight you because he thinks you're the cheap shot of his player, even though he's a running back, running down the field. Or The one play that killed me was who was the quarterback running down the middle of the field and tried to make a football move and got towed up? Oh, got blasted. And they, 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 they threw the guy, <laughs> they got him for targeting. And yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. Well, but it's just, it's just yeah. crazy how these guys are running 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. And then at the last minute, they say, Oh, I think I might slide. And then, the, then you say, okay, they going to slide. I ain't going to go hit them or be aggressive. Then they give you a football move and run right by you. You looking stupid. So I'm damned if I hit him and I'm damned if I don't. And the quarterbacks know that. They use it to their advantage. The receivers know it. The offense know it. And now coaches have bought into it. Announcers on TV have bought into it. A few years ago, we were arguing about, man, what's the real pass interference call as the worst thing in the world that we could talk about in football. And now they say every time you make an aggressive tackle, it's targeting or anything above the, the number, bro. It's, it's targeting. That is crazy. And they just killing the game. The NFL is just, they just won't own up to nothing. And it's a violent game and everything ain't violent. And so the penalized guy for on defense is just crazy. It's just crazy and watching the game. And so it's really not the guy's fault because man, they make it millions of dollars. If I can make millions of dollars and don't have to tackle that guy and ain't nothing really going to happen to me. Well, shoot, that's the game. They saying, okay, that's the game. But then if you're not playing well, 
the team going to get rid of it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, man, the, the, the team and the league ain't on the same page. It's just crazy, man, how they just stiff the, the players of playing the game that they're the ones playing. The players ain't complaining out there talking about, oh, man, this dude hit me too hard. Oh, he, they used to it. That's football. So, you know, it, it's the, it's the lead that's complaining. You know, it, it's worried about what people saying outside the league, the voices, the, the problems instead of saying, Hey, man, let's just understand it's a problem and play the game, man. These guys are compensated. We got ways to compensate them, uh, from, from injuries and things like that. We got good pro, but don't take away the integrity of the game, man, like that. And league got defenses. I think guys, that's why these guys stay hurting more now. Man, you won't find too many guys that play 16 games in the league no more. I got a couple of questions I want to get, uh, get your thoughts on really around the game on Sunday. One of the things that Bob and I have been talking about that really sort of drives us crazy. I know it drives my father crazy. I know it drives our good friend Angelo Kane crazy is you go back, you look at the AFC championship game. You know, 22 of Pat Mahomes' 29 completions went either to Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. I mean, you can't double both of those guys because there's just not enough guys on the team. And you take four guys to double those two, you only got seven guys left on defense. Four or five of those guys are going to have to rush. And then you've only got two guys left to cover everybody else. So how do you, how do you defend against, you know, both of those guys? Here's the thing. Kansas City didn't score 35 points in every game. You know, some people do play defense, and I think both these teams on both sides play. I think Kansas City's defense is underrated, and the Tampa's defense has gotten better and learned how to play in big games because defense is a schematic thing. It's not worried about who over there on that side in X position or the Y position or a running back or a quarterback. If we do our job, 11 guys, no matter what play they run, we should be successful. That's defense. You know what I'm saying? You don't care if they got 11 all pros over there. But our defense scheme is if we, if I do my job, hit this gap right here, force it outside where the linebacker is free and the, and the corner supports and the safety's field, then they shouldn't get a big play. That's defense. That's what has to happen. And the game this week, everybody talking about the quarterback. It's going to be the defense. Who doesn't let a three-yard quick hit turn into a 15-yard first down? You know, those little things to keep the drives going and things like this. And then you say, who has the advantage based off quarterback? Well, Tom Brady, I played 10 years in the league. He's on his 10th Super Bowl. Man, I can't even fathom nothing like that. Okay, so you got a guy that took a team that ain't been in the playoffs in umpteen years and takes them to the Super Bowl. That's leadership. That's guys learning how to play and excited to play. That's a dangerous team. But then you got Kansas City who just won a Super Bowl and know how to play in a Super Bowl. So you say, who, who got the edge? Man, it's the guys that make the plays on Sunday. It ain't about the hoopla. It ain't about who the matchup. Who gonna make the tackle? Who gonna get the sack? You know, anybody, we can say I ain't throw all kind of hypotheticals, but it's the guys that can make the plays on, on, on that day. The bodies are right, their minds are right, chart. And it's going to be a defensive game because if you don't tackle well on either side of the ball, both teams got guys that can go and make plays. So I guarantee you Tom Brady is saying, everybody's thinking the pressure's on me. It's not. 
because I, I know I needed 10 guys to win any Super Bowl or get credit for winning. And you look at the, the running backs that played big parts in his, in his, in his, in his success. Like Garrett Blunt took him from almost out, out of the league to just a hero. You know what I'm saying? White the other year, a couple years ago, catching 15, 16 passes out of the backfield. So he understands that, yeah, I want all the pressure and attention on me. Now my guys can relax and feel free and go play football. And it'd be the guy like the running back that'll be Jones, with I think that's his name, that'll, that'll make big plays. You know, or somebody that you don't even think about. You know, Grunt might have a big game. So it's all about guys that's making plays and schematics. Yeah, Mahomes gonna make plays. He just, you just can't let him make 20 yard plays. Make him make seven yard plays. Eight yard plays, but you can't just give up the big chunks, and that's what both teams are, are definitely talking about. And get off the field on third down if you can. So, who do you like? Man, I, I I love them. I love both the teams. To be honest, I love both the quarterbacks. To be honest, I like both the coaches, the coordinator. You know, I don't I don't rule against neither one of them. I know it's gonna be a great game, and that's what I like. But if I say somebody that has the edge is Kansas City only because they were there and they got a bunch of guys on that team that's been there. And Tampa just doesn't have guys that have even been to a playoffs other than Brady on that team and maybe a couple other guys. Uh, Pierre, Paul, you know, guys like that. So it's, it's going to be the guys that can get the teams to focus. And I think Tampa's in a better position because the focus, nobody expects them to win. You know what I'm saying? So they can play that humble, oh, man, you know, nobody says it. And Mahomes and them, you know, they everybody's already giving it to them like, oh, this is an unstoppable offense. Well, you just better make sure you be unstoppable on Sunday. Lance, <laughs> <laughs> before we let you so, go, uh, remind so our if listeners. If I had to pick somebody, I would, say, uh, I would say I think Kansas City will win just because of this experience. Lance, before we let you go, let our listeners know you're, you're a hard man to keep track of. Uh, you don't do a whole lot of social media, but for for uh, your fans that uh, you know remember your days in San Diego and in, in New York and uh, and in Minnesota, how can they uh, how can they stay up to date with what Bensy Glenn's doing now? Oh man, I I don't think it's too many people in the world done anything in the last year. I know I haven't. I've been sitting <laughs> on my couch twenty two hours a day looking at the beat, the ocean in San Diego, so I shut it down a year ago. I haven't done anything in, in a year, but, you know, I, I am on Instagram now. Uh, I don't really follow a whole lot of people because I pick up the phone and talk to my friends, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah, I, hear you. I don't follow a lot of people and do that kind of stuff, but, uh, man, it, it ain't nobody in this world that's not accessible. So, I mean, you can hit me on Instagram. I still got a Facebook page, but, you know, you're more than welcome to reach out and Every now and then, I still get letters sent uh, for people wanting me to sign a uh, football card, but I'll never give out my address. But some people know how to still <laughs> get it to places that <laughs> some people yeah. still know how to get it to places that uh, know how to get in touch with me. Vince, you're awesome, my friend. We can't thank you enough for uh, taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a lot of fun when you're a part of the segment, my friend. You're very special to both of us. Hey, I appreciate it. And I want to apologize if I got long-winded a little earlier, man. But I ain't talked to you guys in a, a lot. And you guys ask me great questions about things that I'm passionate about. And I just like to, you know, give my take and 
shut up and go sit down somewhere. Yeah, we love that. <laughs> well, that's what we love about you. That's how passionate you are. Ben, I appreciate you. Take guys. care, my you friend. Guys stay, stay safe. safe. And I'll stay talk, healthy, talk to you. Absolutely. All right. Be All right good. Take care. Bye-bye. See you, Vinci. That's a great Vinci Glenn, Bob. You know, tell it like it is. Get the good stories. And uh, I looked up that picture. Is it that uh, uh, Bo Jackson and he and uh, you know, offered all meet Bo Jackson at the goal line. Heck of a collision. That, uh, that must have been a heck of a game with all of the great, uh, you know, stars that were in that one. Boy, that's, that'd be one to find the tape on. Yeah, uh, again, uh, what what stories, Chris, and, you know, any guy like him, the old school that, that played as many games as he did, and, and as you say, he's got so many friends and everything. I mean, we could talk to him forever. I mean, all you do is throw a question out there. I mean, he says we ask good questions, but doesn't take much to wind them up, and uh, those are the best guests, as you know. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, when Bob and I come back uh, on the other side of this real quick station break, we'll be firing up our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Hang with us. We'll be right back with you. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. Alright, we are back here on Thursday night tailgating. We're turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you shining your spotlight on this week? Well, uh, another, uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. Chris, this time we're going to talk about the Eagles uh, nominee this year. And that's safety, Rodney McLeod, Chris. Uh, you know, the guy's been around five, six years in the league, uh, has, has been very good. I mean, he, uh, he helped lead those Eagles to the Super Bowl a couple years back, uh, where, you know, he had uh, a few picks and, I mean, the guy was a very good player on the field. But, of course, this segment, we always talk about what these guys can do off the field. And, of course, this year especially, Chris, these guys who step up uh, really have gone beyond the call with the COVID. And uh, Rodney, I mean, he, he does, he's got to change our future foundation, he calls it. Uh, him and his wife, Erica, run this foundation. It's, it's very uh, similar to what Eric Armstead, the guy we honored last week, does. Uh, it's all it's all aimed at basically youth development, developing healthy lifestyles in kids and things like that. Uh, but I mean, he, he does so many different things. I mean, I mean, he he'll um, he'll he'll donate his own money basically to uh, to organizations that are in charge of supplying food to youth, uh, nutritionists, Chris, to get on board with some of these organizations. Uh, he's been, a, done a lot of stuff for the Boys and Girls Club of America. Uh, and, you know, he, he just goes out of his way. Uh, well, especially this past year. I mean, he's been known to just hop on Zoom and, uh, recognize healthcare workers, you know, just to say thank you. And, uh, he does this at random. And, but not, it's not only this year. I mean, he's gone back, uh, years and he, he's been, uh, an avid, uh, person against things like domestic violence and uh, breast cancer awareness and autism research. And I mean, he's always that guy the Eagles would call, you know, if they have to get involved in some kind of NFL initiative, you know, they'll call Rodney. And uh, he's been doing this all his life, you know, and he's really uh, a guy that if you read his biography, you just don't know what to bring up because he's involved in so many things. But 
And this is a guy that distributed 40,000 pounds of fresh food for families in Philly uh, wow. during week two, Chris. So, uh, I mean, I can go on and on about him. He is an honoree. Uh, go to the NFL website. Read about Rodney McLeod of the Eagles. He's their safety. Uh, but what he does off the field really is more impressive what he does on the gridiron. So uh, kudos to him tonight. Absolutely. What a great story, Bob. Thanks for sharing. 40,000 pounds. That's astounding. Uh, Bob, I'm going to put my spotlight back on Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. And and he has, and rightfully so, come under a lot of fire, you know, for dancing on opponents' logos, you know, prior to games. It's, It's immature and a dumb thing to do. No, you know, no question. That, um, you know, you just don't need to do that. I mean, there's just no call for that. You don't need to give your opponents extra juice. You don't need to disrespect their logos. It's, it's, it's a foolish thing. And, and I've, you know, been critical of Juju for that. But for all the silly things that he's done, he continues to do so many great things in the Pittsburgh community. And, and tonight I, I want to spotlight a few more of them. Juju has partnered with NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace and uh, bold.org to give two $10,000 scholarships to help students eliminate their student debt. In addition to that, on the morning of January 10th, the day after a young man's birthday, Dominic uh, Gulman's birthday, seven years old, Bob, his, uh, his mom, Justine, woke up to a video message from Juju to Dominic. And she had reached out to Juju via social media to tell her you know, uh, tell Juju how much her son, you know, admires Juju, what a huge fan he is. And Juju saw the message and then recorded a personalized video birthday message for Dominic. Juju also sent uh, Dominic a signed jersey. Uh, so, you know, and Bob, like I said, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the logo dancing, but, you know, Juju has done so many great things for the Pittsburgh community and, you know, his fans. We talked you know, a, a couple of months ago about, you know, the food that he delivered to seniors, you know, around Thanksgiving and, and during the holiday season. You may remember, you could, we can go all the way back to 2019. He attended a local Pittsburgh high school prom with a student, Anthony uh, Molinero. And Anthony had, you know, just recently uh, had broken up with his girlfriend. She let him know right before the prom. So the kid was ready to go to the prom. And now suddenly a couple of days before he doesn't have a date. He reached out to Juju over social media, told him the story, and then he needed a date. Boom, Juju shows up. And then he doesn't just show up, you know, just for, you know, for a little while or just, you know, for the kid, you know, to before the prom and take a picture. He goes to the prom, he takes pictures with all the kids at the prom and all that sort of thing. So when you, when you look at, you know, a guy like Juju and, you know, for all of those that have sort of like-minded like me that say, you know, hey, stop with the logo dancing. Okay. We, we know he needs to mature in that sense, but you need to look at the whole book of, you know, what Juju has done, all the great things he's done in the Pittsburgh community for senior citizens, for kids, for his fans, you know, for kids that, you know, going to college and now have student debt, you know, he's helping them to pay off some of that student debt, a couple of students. So there's a whole body of work with Juju Smith-Schuster for what a great human being he is. Let's overlook the logo thing. And let's really focus our spotlight like we're doing tonight on the spotlight on the positive of all of the great things that he is doing for people in the Pittsburgh community. So, Bob, uh, I know we spotlighted Juju a couple of times, but, uh, you know, like we say, you know, there are some knucklehead things that guys are doing. 
But, you know, I really wanted to take the spotlight. Let's get off the logo and let's get on to who the guy is and all the great things he continues to do in the Pittsburgh community. It's a great point, Chris. You know, let's not confuse immaturity uh, with, uh, you know, with not being able to do the right thing. I mean, if you probably Juju, if you ask Juju 10, 15 years from now, you know, should he have done this? Should, he'll probably laugh and say, yeah, I was just a kid, dumb kid. But how many guys at his young of an age, Chris, are doing the good things he's doing? That's, I think you brought that out and that's what we should focus on. And the fact that we've talked about him more than once, and we always say, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, we're, we're not just limited to talking about one guy. Uh, once a year. I mean, if a guy has done gone beyond the call, you know, there's probably at least two dozen guys whose name have come up here more than once. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna definitely keep shouting them out because uh, they don't go away, and, and you can tell it's ingrained in them. And I got the feeling that Juju uh, will be doing things like this uh, once he leaves the NFL, hopefully in a long time from now. So thanks for bringing that up. Absolutely. All right, my friend, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode of Thursday Night Tilly. We want to go out and say thank you again to James Allen, Tony Collins, Nick Lowry, and Venti Glenn for joining us tonight, making the show so much fun. And speaking of that, Bob, thank you for making my Thursday so much fun. Same to you, Chris. Uh, a lot of laughs tonight and a lot of great memories with these guys. And uh, hope we do the same next week. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at looking forward to next week's show. Uh, a guy that's uh, it's been a minute since we've had on the show, and that's former Steelers and Jaguars Pro Bowl tackle Leon Searcy. So really looking forward to catching up with Leon. He's got a great new book out. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Uh, another former Steeler, Safety Lee Flowers, is going to be making his TNT debut with us. Looking forward to having him as part of the show. And one of our good friends, former Seahawks and Cowboys safety, Ken Hamlin, going to be back with us. Always fun when the hammer is a part of the show. And then, of course, I'm looking forward to uh, to making Tony cry in his beer. Uh, he'll be back. We'll review the Super Bowl. Hopefully he has lost and I have won. And uh, we're talking all about that. So looking forward to giving Tony the business next Thursday night as well. We hope you guys will come back and, uh, and be a part of the show with us. Want to remind you on social media how you can follow us. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow me at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari, and the show is at TNT Podcast. You can visit us on Facebook. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages. Plus, uh, you know, give us, you go on that uh, Thursday Night Tailgate page. We get a page for the show itself. Give us a like. That's very important to us. Please check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links back to our page over on Podbean, so you can Stream or download the show on the Podbean app. Take us with you everywhere you go on your mobile phone. You can also find the show available on great sites like Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, TuneIn, Player.fm. We are all over the net. I promise you, if you've got a favorite podcasting site, you're going to find us on it. And folks, please do us a favor. Go online to PodcastMagazine.com and, and vote for the show on their Hot 50 list. Get us on the charts there. We'd really appreciate your support. You can vote for three podcasts while you're on there in their Hot 50 list. We'd appreciate a, another vote uh, for our show over on the golf side next on the tee. Plus uh, other great shows. Our good friend Gus Farad and his uh, podcast called Huddle Up with Gus. Another one of our great friends, Mitch Lawrence, and his uh, podcast, Talking Golf Getaways. Jason Fearman and the Third and Three podcast. And Locked On Patriots with our friend Mike Diabetti. And then, of course, Chaos and Disorder with our friends Flieger and Briggs. So, 
You can vote for three. Those are some of the the great podcasts. We'd certainly appreciate your vote. Bob, take us home, my friend. All right, Chris. You enjoy the game. Stay healthy and keep smiling. All right. And we want to thank <laughs> our great announcer, Joe Lajanusta, for the terrific job he always does with our intro and ads. Uh, we also want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. On behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank all the listeners out there tonight. We appreciate you the very most. Until next week, good night, Kevin. Good night, Terry. And good night, Rusty. We miss you guys. Coming down the mountain, I take a breath of sin. Can't tell the day.